but you can always use it in action. <laughs> See, sometimes I'm supportive. There should be a soy face reaction. Yeah. It should be Rod Dreher. That was, oh man, that was just an amazing picture. <laughs> but um, hello, welcome to the Solidarity Policy Podcast, the name that everyone makes fun of us for having. But <laughs> it is because we are an extremely buttoned up, formal, real think tank, like the Brookings Institute. Exactly like that. Uh, <laughs> Manhattan people, the Manhattan Hoovers. The So welcome. My name is Tim. I am your host. And today I am joined by... Chase Vadusniak. <laughs> Amar Patel. Two world-renowned academics and policy experts who are here on our panel today to discuss some of the most pressing issues from around the globe. Nah, I'm just kidding. All right. So today we have a panel discussion on localism because as you will eventually hear when we dump 20 episodes at once into the, into the ether, last episode, we, Chase and I at the end got into a bit of a debate very amicable. We're all friends here. Don't worry. Mom and dad are not fighting. But we did get into a great conversation about localism, pro and con, and what that word even means. Centralism, local, global, small is beautiful, all that stuff. Some shots were fired about Chestertonians with their pipes and their Cigars. Wendell, their, their small copies of Wendell Berry placed over their heart beneath their uniforms that have had jackets. miraculous stories of stopping the bullets launched by the comrades of the DSA, <laughs> which Chase will immediately bridle, bridle at me referring to him as. And Amar, I mean, this conversation is so up your, your alley. Um, I think we all have a pretty good perspective on it, but I, I, let me kick it off. Let me throw it out, set the terms of the conversation. Like Chase, I feel like you should have the floor first since you are in the, you know, we're starting off. I feel like Amar and Tim are both local, we're local homos and uh, you are not, right? You're a metrosexual, right? And yeah, long hair and a mustache, of course. I don't, I mean that, I don't mean that in any sort of gendered way, right? But well, perhaps you know, metropolitan, define... the metropole. And I, yeah, I thought, so Chase, you take your first stab at defining the word. Localism. Yeah, and then whatever you would hold up to be. It's antonym. Okay. Antonym. Is that opposite? Whatever you think it's opposite. Yeah, no, ant antonym is, is correct. So I will attempt to define the word, but I also, for the purposes of giving us a foundation, I would like to state the sort of broad objection, right? Not particulars, not like policy questions, just what it is about that that generates an antonym in the first place. I, I will be, yeah, yeah. I, uh, yeah, I will not go yeah. into, you know, I'm not going to start talking about, you know, Maoist insurrections in India or something and, you know, trying to you know, the Naxalites or, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. I just, well, I'd like to get there. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to start the origin point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think 
I, I would define localism as the contention that the primary locus of activism for change, not just in terms of the individual life, but in terms of the opposition to the system as it exists, is going to be at the quote-unquote organic physical level. It was going to take place in the family unit, in the units of almost uh, Aristotelian community, the, the little pol poles that develop around the nucleus that is something like the family unit or, you know, sense of family. It's almost as if resistance would arise from kind of clans of the ancient Near East or something, you know, broad kinship groups. And that an emphasis on that is going to allow for forms of change that can cascade in some way or another to therefore deal with the larger set of problems that would seem to afflict us. I would, I would just say broadly, and I said this last week, this is just a restatement. My concern is that I think this often obscures the ways in which the things that we mostly deal with or that can condition our behavior are vast invisible structures that we only encounter in the most, you know, sort of tangential ways. These sort of barely visible shades of the vampire that is global capitalism. Sorry, and, don't look at the chat. I'm just taking a couple notes because okay, I like I, what you're saying. I'm not, I'm not trying to distract you. I'm not trying <laughs> well, to make you laugh. Okay, no, no problem. So yeah, that the basic contention from my perspective is that the sorts of things that we are dealing with, while opposition to them will necessarily always be occasioned by individuals and thus individual communities, that the strategies, the modes of thinking have to be much larger scale in order to present anything like uh, a reasonable alternative to what exists, largely because technology has created communities and senses of connection that are so expansive that it seems to me that it's more likely that some successful ideology or successful program against whatever exists is going to have to tap into those forms of community, which are not local in anything like a traditional sense, probably even more than they're just going to have to tap into local communities in the more typical sense. So that's what I will say to that. Awesome. I thought that was a great, I thought it was a great start. So Amar, same deal. I, yeah, definitions and what you think of the... Yeah, yeah. I would agree with chase in the sense that when someone speaks of localism they are speaking of the smallest beautiful as a primary and i don't i would not put myself in that category and i would agree with chase's assertion that and, and i would add to it saying that i think that people at the local level or at the, just the personal level if you talk to the average guy on the street the average joe on the street if you will that they have no conceptualization of this vast invisible structure, right? They just really, they are just happy as clams to be able to go on Amazon and click, I want this thing, and then it comes to them. And that there, there is no interest in the average person to even consider that. Because when you sit and consider that, it is actually quite scary that you can do that. And that can happen so quickly and that you have no understanding of how that can happen. And I'll give you a, a kind of a related story of where, <laughs> yes, it's a, but like at the same time, I would say that the related story is I had a student who was sitting on his uh, desktop computer and he said that his Wi-Fi was not working. 
I said, what do you mean? And I go, he said, my Wi-Fi is not working. I tried to go on the website for school, the login, and it, it wasn't operational. And I said, it's a desktop. There is no Wi-Fi. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, is the Ethernet cable in the back of your tower connected? Because that's like sometimes the kids unplug them. They think that's funny to unplug the person behind them. Ethernet cable. And he goes, I don't know. That, that? that is pretty funny. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny when... They can't troubleshoot to the first step of checking to see if your Ethernet cable is connected because they don't know that's a thing, right? Like they just think that they've had tablets and phones from the instance, the first instance of their life, they've never been directly connected to the internet. And so sure enough, it wasn't plugged in. He plugged, uh, he didn't know how to plug it in. I said, it's the yellow cable, plug it into its space. And he didn't know how to plug a cable within a certain connector into the appropriate thing in the back of a tower right into the, in, in the jack and so i had to have a class discussion then about wi-fi like a data access point a ethernet connection bluetooth like they none of those things to these kids in the technology age like they none of those meant anything to them because why do they need to know about that it just works so connecting that to like amazon or some other things like if i just press a button and something appears in my house why do i care how it works and so what I would say is to the people who are just pure localists, it's like the problem that exists is we already have the international system. We are globally connected and there can't be a localism unless you even addressed how the web is tangled. So to get to your grassroots points, to have them be able to flourish, you've got to get them untangled from this massive web. And that does require, as maybe we would say, centralism, central planning of some kind. Uh, you know, and people say, well, how would you do that? I said, let me, taxation's a pretty good start. It's not, taxation is not theft. I'm going to put it out there. You can put that in the chat if you want. That whole thing, anytime someone says taxation is theft, I feel like I just need to move on. That conversation is dead. That we're not going to get anywhere any kind of thing productive. Because, you know, until we can identify that, taxation and public policy and bureaucracy has all made capitalism possible, you know, in, in whichever ways that that had been done, that the same kind of approach at the top level, centralized level, to undo some of those things so it actually can have, and I won't say localism, but I'll say at least any kind of local efforts for individual flourishing, I mean, I think I agree with Chase. That just can't happen. It's not possible. And but I would my argument would be that if you're going to have any centralized planning, that it has to have the aim of having local activity, right? And I think a lot of times centralized planning is like, well, well that'll be that's later. We'll figure out this big thing, and then that later will come later. Well, if you don't plan for that to be the end goal, you will just continue to build the bureaucracy and tie things up at higher levels because. As my um, a really good friend of mine says, is that feudalism may not exist. The, the Enlightenment may have broken up the political stylings of feudalism in Europe, but feudalism exists in the human heart. Everyone wants their fiefdom, and so you know you allow a bureaucracy to exist somewhere. Someone's got a fiefdom, and they will fight to the death with their sh uh, shield and sword and put on their helmet and find other knights to fight with them to protect their fiefdoms and that one day they can help them protect their other their own fiefdoms. And I, I think it's like a nonstop battle of our own human condition. Could you spell that 
bit at the end out a little bit further? Like, in other words, just what does it sort of mean practically that people will desire to protect the little yeah. domain? Well, I'll, that I'll, I'll, without naming names or corporations, my friend works in a very large telecommunications corporation. Okay. I want to say globally, they have 100,000, 200,000 employees. Does it rhyme with, just kidding, sorry, please, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Close. Peanut gallery is back on mute. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, the, you know, his, his conversation always comes to, he's a, an engineer by trade, but now he's basically in sales and deployment of, of scaling of, you know, Wi-Fi throughout hotels and, and all kinds of things like that. So he says that it's so difficult to get something done at the engineering technical level when there's like nine layers of bureaucrats that are in control of every subdivision of, and he's doing large scale projects. So he's, you know, he's got to go with the, the physical people and he's got the technical people, he's got the engineers, the data, the sales. So all of those people have their own managers, right? And so when you have the point of contact is the person that actually knows how to do something. And then that person goes to their boss to get clearance. Well, the bot, when you go to get clearance and usually it's a monetary clearance, if you can imagine, right? It's either gonna be a monetary clearance or some kind of back scratching of like, well, you, you're gonna to need to give this up so the other division does this, or you know, time management or whatever. And at those points, there's always gonna be like, well, that's my thing, right? I get to decide, I wanna have a meeting about this because you are encroaching on my space and now the battle lines have been drawn. And so then he has to have a phone call with the person that has no idea about the full scale you know, uh, of anything. And then that, that meeting goes, however it goes. And he explains it to them. They're, oh, okay. All right. I, fine. I will give you my authority, you know, and then they'll sign it off. And then he has to go to the next person to get their authority. And so he's like, what could be done in one days of work takes an entire week because I have to spend the entire week scheduling out phone calls with every branch manager to get their okay on something that their underling could easily handle. And they understood, you know, from a full technical level of their skill. So like there's many of these branch managers that wouldn't even know what the beginning conversation is about, right? So half the conversation is explaining, well, this is how this works in the job that you're the manager of, you don't understand. You're managing a position that the skill set which of which you don't understand. If that, does that make sense? No, it, it does. And it raises, I don't want to get too far ahead of us, but it, it raises a certain kind of question. I, I, this actually relates, Tim, you and I were speaking last week and I think that I brought up the example of Cuba, which is to say that if you do polling, like people in Cuba are on the whole happy with changes since 1959. They have more access to housing, better access to healthcare. But there is a problem that's emerged, which is that people who've grown up since, say, the 90s, when there was a thing called the special period, which is when the Soviet Union fell and things got very, very difficult to get hold of because of the embargo, because the major financial partner had gone away, that these people don't remember the previous arrangement under Batista, right? They don't remember what it was like to be basically a mafia state. So they tend to be less content with the changes that have happened, which means that they're, I'll say this, more susceptible to wanting things to change. That might be my sort of very partisan way of putting what's going on there. So why does that matter? Well, because if we're talking about changes to a system, a global system that manifests locally, there's always going to be the problem that 
someone is always reacting against the tendril of the system most immediately visible to themselves, right? Or someone is always going to be confronted with the version of the system mediated to them. Now, maybe on the positive side of things, that's Amazon button things show up in the way that you were saying before, Amar. But negatively, I mean, that's why so many small business owners are Trump supporters, because their experience of government is like, I don't want to have the inspector check to see if my mac and cheese is safe. You know, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like their experience. I, one of, of my favorite things about you, this you show want to let is in. Chase's that ongoing was, character yeah. of the small business owner. <laughs> that, and that was love oddly it. specific because I think Chase has been made a recent visit to a mac and cheese shop. And no, he's just, that. he's got this, this character in his, he's got this bit like not it's not a bit it's a character in his repertoire defined so well that he can just he could go i think all day on it well it's real because think about what's her face (laughs) from from colorado the the woman who's now a congresswoman i forget her name but she's the one who ran like bobbit or whatever the, the one who ran shooters okay and like five years ago she Gave her entire town diarrhea because she set up a, a booth at like a county festival and didn't actually do any safety precautions, right? Because the small business owner is incentivized to want to have to deal with those things as little as possible because it's cheaper that way, because it's easier that way, because it's more efficient that way, right? It's not that they're bad people. It's that like you're there to make that bottom line. And if that bottom line means a couple people get diarrhea, like that's a risk you're going to have to take. And my point is, that's how government or interference from a state manifests to that person. And so I don't intend this as a provisional kind of like your right to localism. But I think it means that when dealing with these kinds of questions, one always has to think about the way you're propagandizing a particular person or the way you're speaking to a particular person, the way that that person's relationship to that overall system matters. But on the flip side of that, I think part of the reason why I'm not so much on the localistic side of things is that I imagine change will work in reverse. That in other words, when you change some of the ways that these structures work, people will interact with the new modes and accept those new modes. That I think there's a malleability to the human character that once you overcome a kind of initial resistance or a kind of initial feeling of discomfort, that people really do seem able to settle into things in ways that are just astounding. I mean, the pandemic is a great example of that, just like the malleability of the human character in a society. So sorry, that's a little all over the place, but I think the main point is kind of at the end, the beginning is intended to agree with Amar. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let me jump in here because I realize that I'm the only loco homo in this conversation, I'm dealing with two metrosexuals. And I'm, I'm sorry if any of you find this offensive, I will stop. Um, I never hear from our listeners anyway. Actually, just kidding. Quick listener shout out and rejection here. I had a previous guest, the one, one of them who, who's more outside some of these spaces, Grant Martsoff. He's a professor at Pitt and he actually just goes to my parish, but he's a deep, deep, deep health policy wonk like you know, spends all his time on like a specific measurement of how you count whether people are going to a rural hospital or something like, but he got an email from one of our listeners saying like, Hey, I listened to you on the SBC podcast. I thought it was really interesting. Blah, blah, blah. And so that is a shout out to one Will Sipling, a director in the, in squad Baron over at Word on Fire. So 
we've got we've got a few we've got a few ears guys we got some ears the walls have ears if only will could hear one of the 10 buried podcasts he might that's totally really fair. be excited it's totally <laughs> fair whenever people binge through this on like a road trip they're gonna enjoy hearing like just all of these references chunked <laughs> together about how I suck at uh, <laughs> being a producer, but I I do that because I'm I constantly overextend myself, and I'm now in the process, guys, of getting back out of the consulting world, and so I can be more of a more of a hippie, which I just always excites me. The so pretty soon I'm just going to be over editing, and I'll be like podcast in the basement guy because i'm such a privileged bastard but we're talking about localism so like the i want to go back to the it doesn't sound like we disagree about the relevance of the organic and the physical but when it gets to the vehicle of social change that's where I start to see a sharper disagreement, at least in how you guys are framing your own disagreement with the idea of localism. Is that correct? Chase has a hand raised already. Uh, well, yes, because I do think there is a disagreement. It's just a silent one, which is to say, I think as the century goes on, more of those small business owners are just going to be posters. Like in other words, are going to become what? Sorry. Are, are going to be posters. Are going to be that, posters. Like in other words, it will always be the case that someone's self-perception and mode of being impact how they receive a change or interference. It's just that I think the incentive structure and the nature of that incentive structure is changing as the internet becomes a bigger and bigger phenomenon. And so that counts as part of the material conditions around a person, right? It's not this imaginary space. The internet is real and it changes how people think. As a result, I think the kinds of formations you're gonna see might be a little bit different. And I think that dealing with how those people exist digitally is going to be just as important in some sense as whether they're just a small business owner. As more jobs move online, as more things become indelibly connected to the online world as people yeah so yeah yeah yeah. so i want to i want to sharpen this a little bit because when i think of localism it doesn't preclude any of the things that you're talking about right so number one i wouldn't this is not a three two or one cheer for the small business owner as you define them like in your character stock right the so like there's the localism element to this conversation is there and there's like the communitarianism element to this conversation right and they're like to your point about technology like all the fulcrum point for all of this stuff to me is the embodied versus the disembodied and like the concrete the uh, versus the abstract Right. And so my fundamental belief that I sort of begin this conversation from is that it's th- those dynamics are best viewed as sort of concentric circles sort of spinning out. Right. And that the most fundamental one, by definition, 
to the human person is the human person, like yourself as an individual, like as you experience the world and your and your direct experience of things you can you can touch, right? your direct experience has similar layers of abstraction to it, right? Like, because I agree that the internet is a real thing. The, the, the your, your, how your self-conception, the mental models and framework from which you're able to even conceive of things and process reality is, is a real thing. But like, if you, like by definition, in my own life, I have to sort of start from that. Like, I don't think that's an escapable starting point. And well, let's just begin there, actually, because we might. I see some. I see Chase sort of chewing on it, literally and figuratively. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing both. I'm yeah, chewing um, in here. Yeah. So <laughs> let me. Let's just stick on that, right? Because, like, and I'm not trying to get into, like, I mean, I realize that I'm getting, sort of, into, excuse me, dangerous philosophical ground. At which I'm got the quick, bong and take a hit to see we're heading that quickly. Direction. I'm which I quickly I'm going to be outpaced, but I do in my own sort of you know yinzer faltering dad stutter. I will I will stick up for this a little bit. So let's yeah. just take well, you, that. You're, you could be outchased. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I you know how that. many times as a child I'd hear chase chases chase when they realized that my name could be every word in a sentence. <laughs> with like five-year-olds all the time okay I mean, so so oh, sorry, let me let me ask chase this question uh tim maybe the answer is yes i think pretty pretty good chance but have you guys <laughs> seen the movie wally yes okay great chase? movie i i have not but i what well okay i need to say something here this mm-hmm. is totally independent no you're not of- allowed I, I'm sorry, but I, I will hit the leave button. No, I am okay, not going to let you talk for 30 minutes about movies <laughs> <Okay>. until <laughs> you respond, because we're going to lose my point. I know you guys wanted That's to respond fair. to it. That's fair. The answer yes, is I'm no. responding. The I'm no. responding to your point with this. So Chase has not seen the movie. Of course, you know, you have children yet, but I, and again, you got very philosophical. And I, I feel like when you, when you were speaking, I thought of Wally. And I think when Chase's last point, so real quick cut to the chase on Wally is that the world has basically been consumed. Like the earth has been overconsumed. There's just junk everywhere. And there's a little robot. That's basically his whole job. His existence is to take junk, cube it, like crush it, compact it into his chest and then build, he builds these like massive mountains of cubes. Okay. So you think like, okay, this is cute. There's a robot or whatever. But what happens, eventually you, you get to this floating Battlestar Galactica where all, all the humans are, right? And what I, I, the commentary, this is actually about 10, 15 years old at this point. This movie's older, right? But you're talking about how as the internet progresses, well, the whole point of this movie is human beings essentially wake up and then they get plugged into a screen and they float around this massive spaceship to where they eat and they just suck like you know, like smoothies through a straw while they're watching shows on a screen, like individual personal screens. And it's just catered entertainment to them 24 seven until they go to sleep again. Everyone is like morbidly obese. They, you know, they find out that they, they became obese in space. So they don't even have gravity so that their bones can't even hold, you know, their body weight up. So they can't stand if they wanted to. Okay. Uh, and so, right. 
I know, but like that's what that movie basically talks about the human condition when you don't have to do anything, when everything is done for you and you're just plugged in for entertainment purposes. It's a really interesting commentary kind of on how our pleasure-seeking society is headed. But then at the flip side is you have this robot that just appreciates junk, right? And then, and then when I thought of that, one of the mo- there's a moment, maybe the fourth time I saw that movie, because my kids loved it, so we watch it all the time, is that, you know, he, he's just amazed by like a pinwheel, right? And if you think about like, we think of so many things that are just like, oh, I'm tired of that. That's just junk. I want to get something new. But someone else can look at that thing that you're tired of and be like, how is this made? Like, how does that even work or whatever? And so you have like the, the innocence of someone that's new to something. If you, if you consider stuff, sure. Like, well, hold on, hold on. Let's see if it's my best side. Real quick. I grabbed a screenshot of us. Yep. I want to tweet this out to our people to let us know that we still exist. It is Was it? one of the greatest screen captures that I've ever been able to then get I will, in my life. I will, yes. I will take, take your word for that. Sure. Good for me. Okay. But anyway, yep. So talking about, you know, like the, but they still, everyone still has that desire of, they have some wonder. So when they're finally unplugged, that the human connections come back, right? And I think, I think Wally that goes on the ship or whatever and, and is able to turn off all the screens. And then the people, they're actually like this, there's two people who are on a dating app, right? On their screen, they're sitting next to each other. And this is, like I said, 10, 15 years ago, before we made commentaries about high school kids just sitting in groups texting you know, no one's even talking, but like it was specifically that event of they're like doing a dating, they're doing a date with a person that's next to them, but they're on the screen and then it shuts off and they turn and they go, oh my gosh, you know, like human connection or whatever. So I'm not sure if that quite gets, but that's what it evoked in me, Tim, your, your philosophizing. I would love to sink my teeth into that very last thing you said, because I think it's directly relevant to the uh, overall question. So and I, this, this is going to be, a, I'm going to do a, a teensy bit of cultural film criticism, Tim, but I promise you I will not go on for 30 minutes. Do, do the heckin' cultural criticism. Okay, I'm, I'm breaking it out. So I actually think 10, 15 years ago was the prime time to do a joke about kids sitting on their phones for this reason. It was new. And when these things were new, it was easier for us to imagine them as these caricatures, right? So it was easier for us to imagine that we'd all just get phones and sit there and stare at them. Now that might be what teenagers do. I don't have teenagers. The only time I see them is when I'm uh, in class. But when I walk around campus, actually, I'm always amazed at how few people I see staring at their phones, young people, old people I see staring at their phones all the time. Now, why is this relevant? Because I think the problem that faces us in this regard is entirely new and therefore resistant to caricature. I. What happens when we become quasi-digital beings, when we have access to the internet all of the time? What happens, are some people content with that and some people aren't? Is it the case that you get these like pushes and pulls where some people resist it and say, we have to unplug and other people give themselves over wholly? It, it seems like that's where we're headed, right? A society of a kind of diversity with relationship to the margins of activity on the internet but where everyone is sort of plugged in at a fundamental level, where we sort of all need to be at least 15% on to be a functioning part of the society. And then you're allowed to make your decisions with the other 85%, whether that's gonna mean you're on YouTube 24 hours a day or whether you go take a walk in the park or whatever it is that you choose to do at that time. I think what concerns me 
in terms of this uh, initial question that I guess you were uh, trying to ask him, if I can recover that question at this point, and, and, and in fact, I'm trying to even remember exactly uh, how you put it, but I worry that the fundamental definition of the person as it becomes, as that foundation becomes more and more a part of what it means to be a human being, right? That 15% that cannot be unplugged or you will effectively be Ted Kaczynski. That part like that you need to have the internet, you need to have a phone, as Amar was saying last week, homeless people have phones, right? Like certain things that just are basically a part of what it means to be a human being now, at least in like a developed society. And that's the part that I'm not sure you can separate out. In other words, like that is as much a part of the fundamental local experiential kind of empirical human identity of the human person at this stage as having, you know, parents or a house or something is. And in some ways is more fundamental as again, we saw with this issue of homelessness and, you know, having phones, even though you don't have shelter. And so I guess the, the disagreement, if there is one, is just that I'm not sure we can actually disambiguate those things. I think that for better or worse, we are cyborgs to that degree. And that means that whatever change is going to happen has to be interfacing with that reality. And that that means that at least 15% of that local change, if not more, is going to be digital rather than community softball. Because it's going to be like, community magic the gathering or it's going to be like community you know roblox or whatever like that's gonna be the softball of the future for a lot of people and probably for more than it will just be softball and they'll be playing it with people halfway across the world as much as they will be with the people who live down the street in that sense their material similarity will be more that they are Roblox people or, you know, a Counter-Strike players or the fact that they're online gamblers, then it will be that they're small business owners in Wisconsin or that they're, you know, middle Americans in Ohio, whatever, right? That that is going to be just as fundamental. And I think that's sort of the, the center of the point I'm trying to make. So did I, in all of this, which I, there's so much to respond to, and I want to try to get to all of it, but did we get to... Like, did we shoot down or does my contention that I have to begin with my experience as an individual, as our, what you might call it, epistemological sort of starting point for this sort of stuff? Well, I, I mean, yes and no, right? I don't want to belabor the point too much, but if someone's direct experience is online, and is therefore carried out in connection with like, I hate to use the word chat rooms, but like basically chat mm -hmm. rooms carried out in different fora, mm -hmm. carried out through different like co-video gaming experiences. Yeah, hypertext. Like, yeah. That is your experience, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that yeah, it's like I don't, not. I don't, I don't disagree. I'm not touching, I'm not pushing back on the digital aspects of, of your position. I'm just, as a starting point, like, would you agree that you're beginning with that individual's, the individual poster and what they are experiencing, whether they're logged on or not? It, like, yeah, again, I just, I want to emphasize, because the problem is that that point admits translation into different meanings. And if, and I think part of the meaning that has to be attached to it is that like that experience of theirs is as much how other people are framing that experience for them. That like that can't be separated. That like they're, those relationships 
are there, you know, it's like the Trinity or something. Like there's no monad. It's already, already a set of relations that are being reflected at them, right? Through the experience itself. Like yep. The experience is not just person thing. It's like person set of things that like come into the middle of that initial relationship and refract it. It's like that complication yep. seems central to me. Yeah. Yes. Yep. But, but we're at least willing to begin with that point in the system is our starting point like i don't know if we're gonna be able to because it's like if the origin origin point is already a trinity then is it really an origin point well i guess do i mean i didn't want to go here but do you believe the individual exists (laughs) i mean i i i believe mars like wtf dude i'm out of here i believe there's but i know that this is subject amar the, the twitter people like bring this up all the time I, to be honest, there's I a don't big know constituency that doesn't believe in the, in the self. I, well, I believe in the, <laughs> big. This is a yeah. whole different. Yeah. Well, anyway, I, I didn't know that I was participating in a particular Twitter thing, though. I guess because my subjectivity is formed by that, right? So of course I would be. But yeah, sorry. Go go on with your point, Tim. I don't want to. Well, no. I, I, well, but, okay, that that I'll, determines. I'll, yeah. Let, let me jump in. So you know, I, reflecting on that just for a moment, on on the self. I mean, sure, there is a self. But I think as with Chase's, and I don't, I don't I'm not, I can't say exactly, this is how I take Chase's conversation is that, and, and apply it to that particular question is that there is a self, but you can't unplug the self from the reality of everything around it, right? So I always go with like family, friends, and faith is that you are a self and like the idea of personalism yep. where you flourish not as a self or as an individual, you flourish in this, this connectedness and, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, guys, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get to all that. I promise. Yeah. But it so, is, I am, I am not letting go of this point because I'm okay. going to build my Socratic, my syllogisms. Right. Then, then I'll just. Uh, on, and this is the starting point of my syllogism. And so, if this falls apart, then I, I need to get you guys on this before I can get to the embedded nature sure. of said self. So I'll, I'll go ahead and give you that you are born a self, if that allows you some freedom there. To okay. Work your, to yep. work yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one out of two. But I still feel like Chase doesn't want to say yes. Well, because I see what you're up to. I've, I've read enough Plato to know how this goes. Well, and, but, say, but if, and you're truly, okay, you are but, right, Tim. Then by the end, I'm agreeing that like, you know, of course the truth, the good, and the beautiful are one, Tim, and that we all come from male and female that was originally one and just wants to get back together you know like well, whatever okay it, but you know if you're if you are clairvoyant and already see where my argument is going and want to address where I, you think i'm going to end up I, just you might be surprised right <laughs> and no, our, our listeners end up. i just mean i know it's gonna end up somewhere i'm gonna be you're gonna get me to admit to something i don't want to admit to. <laughs> that's, that's what i'm okay saying. guys you you know that i'm winning and you want to sh- rattle my my cage by any means necessary. I get it. I get it. So that sounds like a begrudging yes from you. Well, I will provisionally grant that we can use that. Like, the, I will grant that that linguistic structure could have content that could be true. The is, <laughs> because it depends on what it's going to end up meaning. Like, it I can't know. Be divorced I know. Provisional. It's, I know. It's like it's a provisional golf ball. I, are you at least works. willing to say yes until? I end up getting you to agree with localism and then you guys just go back to repeating yes, that's fine. what that's you already fine. believe at the that's beginning fine. that you're not yes. going to let go of. All right. That's fine. So, okay. So 
you you have to begin there and but to your point like every self comes out in a context embedded in a community and these invisible or well we'll get to that the visible versus invisible and the, the mediation and the directness versus the abstraction right but everyone comes out as part of a structure right that's the the not believing in that is to me like the central error of dare I use this word liberalism, right? It's the, it's the Lockean state of nature. Everyone's, everyone's, you know, the romantic blank. savage out there in the, in the end. Right. And you begin blank from state. that point. Right. 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 But you don't, you, you, your, your gestation becomes the, the deepest relationship possible is between a, a mother and a child, right. Or a, a birthing, a womb sack, and a pe- about to be released human unit. The so now maybe I want to like talk about the so the world like the primacy. So when we talk when we start to talk about community and we start to get into the nature of the concrete, the most concrete aspects of human experience and the layers of abstraction that can build around that human experience, right? Like they are, there are still limits composed, put in place by reality. That'll be my next extremely contentious philosophical point that I want to expand on, right? Is that like, so Chase, I, I fully agree with every single point you're making about the nature of the modern self and how mediated it is by technology. But, but my question is, let's go back to, to Ali or like the, the granddaddy of them all. Let's go back to the matrix, right? Like, would, would you, my basic point, right? I'm sitting here as we're recording this and I'm staring my eyeballs, which let's leave physics aside, apparently exists, are staring at a real laptop screen that I can touch here. Someone needs to grab this screenshot of me trying to like smudge my camera or something. And I'm, I'm looking at you guys that, that you are actually existing as pixels or little neurons, electrons firing through the various apparatus that make this possible, which I don't understand, blah, 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 blah. That, that there, it is real, both in a material sense and in a how much it's mediating and controlling my psychological experience, my inner experience of how I'm perceiving my reality, right? But I'm the, my laptop is resting on a table and I'm sitting here in a body on a chair, right? I would argue that my experience of these things is far more concrete than my experience of you guys or any experience that's mediated digitally. You lost me in that last little bit. Uh, I can I can I say what, something? What's it, more, it, what's more real, this Zoom call or your chair? The unfortunate reality is that for a lot of people, the Zoom call. Like I think I, I have to say something here, which is mm-hmm. that like what you're doing here is straddling the line between what the Chase who is Catholic and used to be a conservative wants to believe, and what the Chase who exists today and has 
like, okay, so I'll put it this way. There's a, a guy who was associated with the ASP, I won't use names, who used to do a head desk of the day on Facebook. And the whole point of that, right, was that like, here's a thing that's so absurd that I can't believe it's happening, but this is the world in which we live. And I think when I was conservative, those things made me angry. And as I've come along, I've, they more just, I'm just nonplussed. It's just like, well, of course, everything's infinitely malleable. It doesn't matter. You know, the points are made up. It's just gonna, we're just, we're, we're just waiting for us to like put on the, the skin suits and download our consciousness into the hell program so that like our molecular structure can be exploited by the vampires who exist at the top of the cyber dystopia. Like in other words, I want to agree with everything you are saying, Tim. I want to agree with you that those things are true. I want to agree with you that it's more real, that there's an intrinsicness to human relationships that's beautiful and keeps people. I didn't say it was beautiful. Well, no, no, but uh, you mentioned. I didn't even talk about human relationships. You mentioned the womb sack. You mentioned the womb sack. Okay, gotcha. I did mention the womb sack. Like I'm talking about, I want to believe that the womb sack is powerful enough to, to cradle us. But then I imagine the future in which the womb sack is just a cyber bag where the where the you know little embryo is grown out of the cyber wall. And I'm just like I yeah, I'm not even saying that the the that relationship is I'm not saying that it's more powerful than the invisible structures that govern every aspect of our daily lives and particularly what the internet has done to that experience. I think the internet is far more powerful. And these invisible structures are far more powerful determinants of our lived experience, our embodied experience, and our inner lives than the fact that you're born. Like, I fully agree with you about the, the current tip of the scales, if that makes sense. But I just, I still want to pin you down and get, hold you down and get you to agree that despite the fact that despite the overwhelming and totalizing nature of the internet can i say the internet as a shorthand for what you're talking sure, about yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like that that still is objectively less embodied than like the the ground yeah less embodied yeah. i i will and, and i will say this i want to be clear uh this is just a for my own pedantic reasons not to slow you down but I do think that my point wasn't necessarily that one is more or less influential. What I meant is that human beings seem to be so malleable that if in some proposed future, most of us are born in womb sacks in like giant techno labs, that people's experience of that will not lead them to want to go back to being born inside the original womb bag, the woman, right? Like in other words, that the malleability of human experience is such that even the thing that is more organic or natural to the human subject will not necessarily be desirable if the cyber version of that thing is realized. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're saying like people won't want to leave the matrix. There's yes, the exactly. guy who wants yeah, to yeah, eat yeah. the steak yes, and, be, exactly. and go back into yeah. the matrix and be rich and doesn't want to eat the, the sludge that is like all <laughs> the, the remnants of non-womb sacked humanity can get to. We want our soil like green and we want it now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I don't disagree with any of that, but you guys are you're admitting that the real world is is more embodied, is more real than the the digital world. I, I will you're, agree. You're, 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 yeah, you're yeah, embodied. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah, that yeah. we're on the embodied. Yes. Yeah, only embodied, right? So it is more like, physically real. Yeah, I mean, okay. Physically, yeah, 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 I'm I'm just getting you. I'm going back to. I know I know it's pissing you guys off, and I'm, it might be like 
so annoying to our listeners. To, anytime I do this to my wife, who disagrees with me about so much, she just fuck. She like, she like throws things at me. She's it's Irish, so I reading like a platonic. Like it is. It yeah. is like we are reenacting the Crido or something. I, <laughs> well, it's all it's all LARPing, so LARP responsibly, <laughs> right? It, yeah, and and so I I fully expect you guys to force me to drink hemlock by the end of this episode for <laughs> corrupting the minds of the youth i e chase because i think i just turned 30 so i think you're still you're the official baby of the podcast 28 in a couple weeks yeah yeah, yeah. wait you just um, turned 30 when was your birthday friday happy birthday, birthday. thanks guys wow. thank Uh-oh. you wait, I do oh, let's get a little uh, celebration reaction yeah. on the zoom and i celebrated by on one night having a board game night and the next day going to the renaissance festival so it's the perfect Ooh. it's perfectly relevant to what we're talking about here it's it's super actually there's is, a version but, I, yeah. I i i promise to be quiet there's yeah. a version of this conversation that we have to have not within the confines of this socratic movement because there is something happening in my life right now, not like my personal life, but my broader life of friends and, and sociality that so successfully will show you why I am a doomer on these questions. Like when I share with you what I have seen and know exists, that you will quake in fear before Moloch. But again, it's not directly relevant to the Socratic line here. So we'll just pause. Well, like, but again, I don't, I don't, I think I'm probably the most doomer person on the pod i know chase that rankles you so much to think that anyone could dethrone you from your your position as king of the doomers against the naive tweedy tweedy folks or the naive dsa beret cap people the, the chesterton guys you were talking about earlier yeah 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 they're all chesterton guys dsa version tolkien version it's all one big chesterton guy it's chesterton's all the way down (laughs) i love it i love it we should i want to actually that would be like an amazing graphic to put together of i will do that when i release this episode i think i'm I'm actually going to try and drop this one today because it it's anyway blah 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 blah, well and call it chesterton's all the way down you gotta give it the title too yep chesterton's all the way down and i will get a graphic of turtles and make them all look like gk chesters i'm so excited for that I will spend probably three hours of my day on that. Yeah. So like you, you, so then uh, let me short, make some, some jumps here and take it, start to take it into the political community and the communitarian aspect of it. Right. Like, even though in our society, like in, in our society, right. But I'm talking about something that could be, that is universal. I'm talking about a, a unified world theory here. Cause I actually think you're, your doomer prognosis applies in the weird countries, right? The Western, blah, 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 but not so much for many places in the world, right? What I'm trying to say is you're racist. So no, I'm just kidding. The Amar is like rolling his eyes. He's like these freaking white boys. Like, what am I doing here? Wait till I tell my dad about this. He's going to be like, why don't they shut up and start a small business? The, uh, like, so it's all... So the, the next layer of human community is is mediated by limits. I'd say natural limits that the story of modern life is of a hundred, multi-hundred year struggle to overcome any sort of natural limits possible. But I will throw out like another Socratic presupposition I have is that there are still natural limits. Like there were natural limits that have been overcome so far, there are still natural limits that have not yet been overcome. 
and there are natural limits that are going to come roaring back. Well, they are right now, and it's only going to get worse than that. But anyway, hold up on it. Praise God for that. I am definitely like deep down one of these. There's the conservative part of me, the part of me that participated in ISI in 2012 or whatever, is the part of me that's like, I am so angry about climate change, but also like, how could we not have, that there is a certain kind of horrific, but also cosmically, aesthetically beautiful idea that there's some kind of yin and yang, yin and yang about this. But it's hard to say that, of course, because it's so awful that it's like, could you really actually be saying that? But it, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, hard rains are going to fall, right? The, and like, so that limit, right like you go like there whatever that dude's number is i always forget this but like the human guy is attuned right now to be able to support exactly like 137 close relationships you can have 27 friends yeah yeah. more than that they're not real friends kanye doesn't understand this yes i've uh, i've done the math on this and most humans i can handle about 20 friends 20 close friends communities I mean, you're, you're probably only used to knowing about 500 people. Tops. This can be checked by up to 23 people a year. Any more <laughs> than that, and it's no longer mac and cheese. It can't, That's right. doesn't qualify. That's right. <laughs> it's only possible to get diarrhea when you're operating at a scale that uh, is complete. Blah, 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 blah. You get it. The, the, like, anyway, that's what you get for most of human history up until the modern world, right? The, Blah, 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 right? But like our relationship, Amar's like, he's lost it. He's finally, finally fully lost it. But like the next part of this for me is food, right? Like the basics of what it takes to to remain alive as a human being, right? And that is not yet something that the internet can directly feed into your body, right it can coordinate the transfer of goods and the manipulation of the of the biological natural ecological realm right but you need sunlight water and food and air right those are the things like pretty much every living thing needs to needs right and we're we are not yet an exception up oh, you're on mute Sorry, I was going to say I'm debating quibbling about sunlight because I could imagine gigantic lamps. Obviously, there are other problems with gigantic lamps, like all the electricity that would be used. But I do, because I'm so terrified of the ways in which we're going to like terraform the earth to be like a giant sports stadium at night, right? Where we all like live in the locker rooms and all the food is grown on the turf outside under the big lights. I do want to just state that horrifying possibility, even if we're not quite there yet. People want to make that a reality. Oh yeah. No, I, I, I'm debating, you know, we're in this ongoing process of converting our little fiefdom here into like an urban survivalist uh, farm and homestead. Right. And, you know, space is at a premium when you're in a city environment. So it's the question of like, well, do I do indoor growing and hook up the grow lights inside? But like, I still recognize that that's like, you know, disgust, like an aesthetically disgusting I mean, that's putting a value judgment on it, but it is a more abstracted thing than growing plants from sunlight. It is by definition more abstracted from the natural the natural realm, right? Creation, like we're all coming here from a, a Christian perspective, like in our hosts, but you know, it's, it's not a point that is unique to Christianity. So that's what you need, right? 
and again, we're, we are still human beings, right? So like, again, the limits for most people is how far you can get on your legs. For most of human history, we, for some time we've had horses, right? Again, real very embodied things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And like, there, there's a great book called The Organic Society, I believe. No, it's called like Plows and, ah, I'm going to butcher it, but it's like something like Plows and Swords or something like that, that talks about the nature of centralization and the projection of political control in pre-modern, I would say pre-modern or even early modern societies where most, mm-hmm. like where you're dealing with the hard limits of how far something like troops or armies can move with like an infrastructure of like forced marches, horses, wagons, that sort of thing. Thinking like pre-trains, right? And this gets me, this, this, I'll just do some shortcuts here before you guys literally murder me, is like how we get to the political community and the, and the structure of change and everything there, right? Is that like, if our, like, and we've talked about this before in, in, in working through parts of the platform, right? Is that the, Cops and your school districts are the, and and postal workers are the tips of the spear of the state that most people come into contact with in their daily lives. Food inspectors, too. Food inspectors, if you're one of our cherished community of small business owners. Yeah, which I I hope we get some great letters or something from our small business owner listeners, if you're out there. I hope that the 5% of our audience who is female, at least as what like Spotify's analytics tells us, are all the small business owners as well. They're all McDonald's franchise operators. Yeah, all or they're doing, the female, they're doing the things. like, you know, the, the parties where you like the shopping, let me show you the jewelry parties or something. Sorry, that's sexist. I actually well, think it's more likely that our- Tim, Tim yeah. before you continue on your point, I want you to weave this into your point. I think it mm-hmm. applies and it, it, for me, in a super biased way, a Catholic biased way, ties a lot of this together. As you guys were speaking, I was just kind of constructing it in my mind. Do you guys follow, have you ever heard Matthew Kelly speak, Catholic speaker? I've heard the name, but I okay. don't he, he, really he always like refers to like the genius of Catholicism, right? And so here's a situation where you have the Catholic Church kind of with a centralized structural organization that puts its, you know, tips out in the diocesan realm. And so, as you said, like, you know, for people, parishioners, they have contact with their parish priest. That's like pretty much the only way they plug into the hierarchy, you're probably never going to meet a bishop, most people, unless you, spe- you know, specifically go to a special mass where the bishop's coming by or go to the cathedral, you're almost never going to meet a cardinal, you definitely will not meet the pope for most Catholics or anyone. So like that's connected there. But then at the same time, like I've had this conversation in my own parish about, you know, when we went remote, and you had like digital mass, you could watch mass on TV. I mean, the sacramental, if you going back to your computer versus us on the Zoom or whatever. I mean, the, the genius of Catholicism, and, and again, I'm a convert. I'm not sure if that's important to listeners or you guys or whatever, but but one of the things- Are I we always, all converts? That would be so typical. More, more or less. I mean, I my am, situation's yeah. like- Revert? We did. It's like if you were nominally Catholic, but no one ever went to church, and then okay. you decided to start becoming- right? sure. So it's like not really either one. 
Right, 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 right. Okay, right. fair enough. So, but one of the things that I critically appreciated about the faith was the idea of the sacramental plugging into the divine, right? So there is, like you said, when you brought up food, it kind of said, I need to speak on this. I've been thinking about it, but then you nailed it, right? In, plugged it into, you know, there, there's physical things that the, the genius of the church is that they, and he always talks about that Jesus was a genius. And obviously he was the son of God. So that makes it a lot easier for him, but that he understood the reality that people face. And so for 2000 years, we can create an internet and continue to develop these different avenues for community and, and side realities or whatever, but you can't replace some of those human needs. And as you said, you know, food and water or whatever, but I would go spiritual needs of the sacramental, right? That there's something physically is happening in these different realms that can't be replaced. So, you know, you could get married over the internet and have a, a, a internet spouse that you get on Zoom with once in a while and converse with and say, hey, we're married and we have a relationship and it's very meaningful. It's Chase, just you're meaningful. not allowed to do cultural criticism right now. Right. <laughs> it's just as meaningful as your real, you know, physical spouse in whatever, but like, it's not, right? It just isn't. And neither is, you know, there's no supplement, there's no substitute for food and drink. And I mean, the other sacraments, you know, people would say, you know, bah to reconciliation. But, but even, even like in my school, at the opening of school a couple of years ago, one of our non-Catholic counselors spoke to the genius of confession. And I was like, really interesting from a purely psychological perspective of if someone admits to something, they're less likely to do it in the future because it cleans the slate. There is a just purely human psychological aspect to that where that if you get a kid that even if you allow them to anonymously confess to cheating and get them to admit that it was wrong, they actually are less likely to cheat in the future because they've felt like they've gotten that off their chest, even though they didn't feel the ramifications of specifically copying to themselves, right? So, so to bring that back, Tim, then I'm going to turn it back to you. If you put that into your, your local spoken. connection into the larger scale entity, I mean, I feel like that's a perfect model of, of how, you know, when the, when the Pope says stuff, I mean, he definitely, it's just, especially Pope Francis, much reviled Bergoglio, you know, I, I really hate, I, that's another, per, that's another thing I turn off immediately on Twitter when someone says, oh, Bergoglio was after, okay, block, I don't need to see you <laughs> comment anymore. But, you know, he's been really good. I, I think one of the greatest things of his papacy is, despite being the prelate of this massive organization that is centralized, his goal is always for local activity. What are you supposed to be doing at the local realm, you know, despite his attacks or fights with the bank or whatever. But, you know, so many of his efforts are, you need to engage with the poor. You need to look at your, you know, approach towards your concern towards the earth, right? Like all of his writings are based on, this is what happens at the grassroots level. And then he, you can comment then on his success at the structural level, you know, how to come top down and get how fixing those issues. And there are many issues as a human organization will have, but I feel like that's a good model to plug into. Go ahead, Tim. After that, hundred percent. No, I mean, like you, you, yeah, you, you took it, you made the whole leaps, right? Like if, if anyone's going to follow this hard enough, it, it comes back to the sacraments and the reason why you can't go to confession over the internet. Like that's part of the rules, bub. And there's a reason for it, right? Like, and I'm trying to like, I'm doing the, 
pre-work a little bit or what you know when i was messing with you guys like and just causing everyone to hate me even more than they already do the like that's this is this is why right and it, like again you, you start to bring in creation into it right like i mean there's just becomes even littler room to to argue but the like so let me let me respond to a couple more things right like the the end goal of talking about social change right is to make a difference and promote the common good of the human person and in community that is that is real right and the if the best possible outcome of any of the social changes that we talk about right it's like prison right prison reform or whatever right like that's that change is always going to like at the end of the day it is to get individual human persons out of prison right like you you are also reforming an entire structure but which also has physical mass and proportionality to it and all of those reforms are on a on a great chain of being but that at the end of the day like have to result in a change to someone's actual material situation right like i don't i don't see how you can be a materialist and not at least anthropologically or epistemologically a localist right at least in the ideal right and this goes back to chase for like you know i i wish you know even if even if you don't believe christianity is true you should want it to be true you know please subscribe to my youtube channel to see endless replays of douglas wilson and christopher hitchens debate or something the Christopher says, "No, I no, I don't. I hate. I hate. It doesn't sound like him at all. But the like that's the goal, right? Like abolishing, you know, for student debt forgiveness, but like also climate change, guys. Like we're we're like we're now in a situation where we literally have to battle for the survival of an ecology that can support." the current human population of our planet, right? Like the species as we know it is at risk. And I know that sounds like a crazy person thing to say because people's consciousnesses have been completely manipulated and propagandized by invisible structural actors that they're not aware of as they live their daily lives, right? I, I get that and I fully agree. But the that I'll still stick to that as being the end goal, right? And so now I'll flip it to like political change, social change, like social movements, et cetera. Like the, a coup, whether it's a coup or here's my little Chestertonian soundbite that, you know, immediately raises all sorts of problems, but like a coup is just localism in Washington, DC. You've been, this whole episode, you've been waiting to say that, haven't you? <laughs> It, it's been a, a half yeah, no i you know it's been a few episodes I, I've, I've chewed on that one for a little bit i like that one <laughs> um the uh the chesterton nexus right there yeah. the like and again like oh, boy. Con getting a congress together and like writing up some some laws etc is itself like an abstraction over and above the level 
that most people will live and encounter in their own experience in any part of their daily life, right? And, and like you see this in the the nature of states, including the modern state, right? Which is the existence of the black market, the existence of like a lack of following the endless amount of pronouncements that come out of centralized states, like at pretty much you you lose if you're starting with like the purity of something like the constitution or whatever, you know, the embodied community of legislators, or as I like to call the people in Harrisburg, like 200 former used cars dealership owners who are about to have heart attacks like whatever they cheese boys that's right whatever the 200 mac and cheese boys get together and ultimately through you know a pure inert you know inertic devotion to like an outdated ritual like get in a room together and raise hands or like hit sticks on desks or something like whatever they then do the second it starts to filter out to every successive layer of the bureaucracy and by the time it gets to the point of the spear that touches your lived experience there's there's loss along every step of that chain between what the law is intended to do and like what may actually be happening in any given embodied local context right like so the state i don't no one lives in a country that's my other hot that's my other hot take. No one lives in the United States of America. The United States of America is itself an abstraction. It's a massive extraction. Like the, the modern idea of the nation state is just like the proto Facebook group or some shit. And, and Chase is raising his hand, right? But let me, I'm gonna, I'll, okay, I'll wrap okay, up okay. and then I'll just like fully stop bloviating, right? So like, now we'll just get back to like the situation, like the doomer and like where we stand right now. Like the reason I will go to bat for this and to sh- is to not disagree with like the need to like, if you're going to get X, Y, or Z done, you at some point in our system need to like get people elected to office, send them to DC, write some new laws, or, you know, send the military to round some people up and shoot them or, or whatever perspective you're coming from, right? On the nature of how change happens at the central state level. The, to, to your point, right? To the, the full chase point, capitalism, modernism, the internet, the, the current system, whatever you want to call it here in the West is totalizing. It has over the last 300 years extracted and controlled and conquered every single, you know, the all traditional forms of relationship, what dissolve and wither away or whatever Mark said, right? It's that acid of modernity that just dissolves everything it touches, right? Like that is where we're beginning from. But I think actually the most helpful sort of place to conceive of your own political activity is under what you can actually do, right? What I'm seeing out out here among the people I talk to, among people who are concerned in politics is an overwhelming depression based on the way things are and the absolute, absolute futility of trying to change almost anything, right? Like, you know, I mean, you saw this 
in a huge way among the sort of populist left in the wake of the Bernie campaign. I've got a lot of friends who are like, when that fell apart, just like, well, great, there it goes. Like, what do we, what do we do now? And you've got like all these blah, blah, blah. You got that whole thing. You've got warped versions and mirrors of that on, on different parts of the right, like the whole thing. But when it comes to any of these things, like the overwhelming consensus that I'm seeing from professional posters and, and public intellectuals and tastemakers who have such a, have that so important role to play in shaping the art, the possible for, for all of us as human beings is what you do in your own life doesn't matter. It can't matter because like that won't change anything. And whether, whether that's true or not at a, at a centralized level and at a level of, if you're trying to change the fortunes of a mass of, in our, in our situation, 327 million people, like, which, let me be clear, like, you should do that. Like, I'm not for it. Like, I fully agree with that criticism of what was that book? Like the Benedict option of like being quietist and separatist and like ignoring the community and, and blah, blah, blah. Like, no way. Like I'm here ha- like getting involved in these projects and trying to do stuff precisely because like you, you need to. Like that's, a, that's a, just a requirement, it, especially today. Like political commun- participation in the community, in, the, in public life is not ethically optional. Even if you're a hermit, right? That is a, that's a form of participation, right? But as a, as a recipe for like the individual human being, like you can, you can, like what you do actually matters and you can circumvent a lot more of this stuff than you think by working. Yes, how it completely cringe in your own life and on your own block and then in your own town and your own city, you, you just can. And the telling people that they can't and that therefore they should sit and continue being sort of depressed and that, that the only way they have to get food is to go to the grocery store and participate in this chain and, and just fully opt in to all of the procedures of modern life and, uh, unless we can all sort of post our way out of it or just wait for, for them to do something like is that is a recipe for psychological disaster. And you only get to become the kind of person and then the kind of communities that do make those changes. When you have, when you begin with individuals and families in those tiniest possible little social units who like actually do things. There we go. I'm done. Okay. okay. I'm done. I'm, I, I'm fully done. I think side one and side two don't. I think you played an A side and a B side. And the A side <laughs> was totally fine. And I agree with you. And the B side is, uh, well, we'll get there. So the Socratic reasoning on the first half, you know, fine. I'll, I'll actually grant all that. That's fine. And, well, I I and then I, I had to ditch it because it was just too slow. <laughs> Sorry. So now, we, now we get to get back into the entertainment. Sorry, dog was pulling my entire computer and headset down. Um, Localism rears its head once again. But, 
But the B side is where, oh, and I also agree with you, of course, that the effects of these things are always going to be material and they're going to be in people's lives. They're going to be in communities. All of that granted, you know, no problem. I, and, and I agree with you that you don't want people being sad and desperate and alone, which is what we have. Like, you're, you're totally right about all that. I just think that the binary is not necessarily between being someone who, like, watches anime all day, okay, and being someone who is politically active. I, and, and to give you an example, like, <laughs> I am, well, first of all, I mean, all the, like, 4chan guys are both of those things but um more than that like i am involved in my i have a sign outside for the town council candidates that we support we're going to a little local fundraiser for the same organization we're we're involved with different like things that are mediated by that through the town just on sunday they had this thing called garbage rocks which is like a big local little festival that raises money but they also give out covid vaccinations and like I'm not opposed to any of that. And in fact, I agree with you that like doing those things is generally good. The problem is, or I guess my main contention is that there's no direct connection between that and fighting the system. In other words, God love the people who do these things in my hometown, but their participation in that system also is usually what limits their imagination about what can change. Because if you, if you play enough baseball, if you butter enough bread, if you pour enough pork out of the barrel, your imagination ends up very limited. I mean, truly, like this is why the point about the Democratic Party is it will never change anything. Because even if there are good actors in it, the party as a structure conditions people to not want to imagine change beyond a certain point, or at least not to enact change that they can imagine beyond a certain point, right? As a result, that action at the local level or at the state level or whatever level does not necessarily translate. And in fact, I think at times can be inimical to imagining the changes that would take place in like a mass movement in something that would fundamentally change the way a country works, right? It's like the new deal happens in large part because people clamor that things just aren't right in this like generalized way, right? It's not like the Tennessee Valley Authority doesn't start because someone says, oh, I need to do some, I need to found a power company in the Tennessee Valley. It's like, no, people up top hear that there's so much anger and frustration, so much almost undirected discontent that they just start throwing stuff at a wall and hoping it'll stick. And that's how you get a lot of the stuff that does work, a lot of stuff that didn't work. But they just had to try a bunch of stuff because they couldn't figure out how to possibly redirect this energy so that it didn't just result in like the overthrow of the government and the collapse of the United States, right? And so I think sometimes that when you overly direct that energy, it overly, it contains it. it. It ends up actually creating boundaries where they didn't need to exist. And so, I mean, maybe that is where this conversation should have started in a certain sense, because I don't disagree at all that it's good to be involved in your local community, but I think there should probably also be limits on that because the more you get involved with the local party apparatus, the more, like, that's how you end up being AOC at the Met Gala. That's how you end up wearing the tax the rich dress because you lose touch with what's actually going on through your participation in the structures, whether those are national, state, or local, right? You start to see the but world. But like that, that you, you sort of tip the hand there, I think, with when you say you lose touch with what's going on, right? Because you, the example of AOC is that as she participated in the central level, when she moved to DC, 
she lost touch with what was going on in the Bronx, right? Or wherever they're from, right? You forgot your roots. You went to college, boy. You're no longer in the mine. You're in one of us, you know, like. Queens, not yeah, the Bronx, yeah. but. Well, no, whatever. No. It's all the same. New York supremacism. Where's it's, it's, I will say, this is going to sound so stupid to you, but <laughs> it really is crazy that people don't know the differences between the, like when you grow up here and you meet your wife in New York City, the idea that people like don't understand the geographic and cultural differences between the boroughs is probably like me being like Pittsburgh. That's got the that's got the the Steelers of the baseball team and the Pirates of the football. Like you know, it's like that kind of like come on. But anyway, I, well, I I am messing with you. I I did live in New York City oh, right, for six true. years. That's I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. You're, a, you're a cosmopolitan. Mm, I, yeah, I'm a recovering <laughs> recovering metrosexual. <laughs> you know, and to, to, I, I like the the TVA point Chase made. I think it's a good one. And I think the contention I have with the, the approach that people at the federal level, politicians at the federal level take, is that you know they always pretend like the ideas they come with, they come up with are like like golden tickets, right? As opposed to I think what Chase was saying is sometimes you just gotta you have to just go after it. You got to pour that pork out a little bit to see what happens. And I think if they would just admit that they are going with the, we need to do something, here's a thing, so let's do it with the idea that, but still focusing on, we're, but we're trying to get the money out to the local level so that it can enact change in real people's lives and the material. If we could be honest about that, I think more people would be accepting to that. But it's like the Democrats like, well, our ideas are golden and the Republicans are bad or the Republicans vice versa. Like what we do is, no, you're both, you know, you both have legitimate problems and there's also good ideas that could be enacted, but they're not perfect. And then to pretend that they are, I think is what pisses most people off and turns people off to the conversation thinking, well, they'll, they'll just keep talking back and forth. And because the chasm is so big now, we can't get a common good you know, decision ever made because it's just obfuscation for the purpose of selling votes or buying votes, sorry, essentially. No, and, and actually you've, this is a sort of silly historical point, but I can't miss the fun in making it, which is that like top probably like three presidents of the 20th century, LBJ, which sounds insane because it's like all he did was like kill people in Vietnam, but- in One for each of, of his initials, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but like the thing is at the end of the day, I mean, what is LBJ? Well, I mean, he's a man who knew, knew what he wanted and knew how to get it, but he's also an arch legislator, right? He's a dude who like came up through the system, went to Southwest Texas Baptist Teachers College, whatever the hell it's called. Like he, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, is, is a kind of American story in that sense. And so he was able to get done all this crazy stuff, right? Medicare, Medicaid, tried to do universal health care in general, did a bunch of poverty alleviation programs, like materially speaking, aside from the New Deal, probably did the most for poverty alleviation in the United States, passed the Civil Rights Act of 1964, did just like unbelievable things. And I guess I brought him up because there's something sort of ironic about all that, right? He's an example of someone who combines somehow vision with being a creature of the system. I think part of the problem is that in his day, there was actually space for those two things to overlap at some level, right? Because vision, say what you will about the 60s, but I mean, it, it was probably the last moment where we actually believed we could make the world better. 
Like we genuinely thought, okay, we can try to do something to help people. I mean, by the 70s and stagflation, that's all out the window. We live in a moment where the idea that you could materially improve people's lives is effectively off the table. I mean, there's a reason that the culture war is the only thing we talk about. It's because when you don't have actual politics anymore, when Bill Clinton and Bob Dole both agree that we need to slash spending and increase military spending or slash, I'm sorry, other spending, increase military spending and slash taxation, there's no longer a politics in a meaningful sense of what that means. There's no debate about how we're actually going to change people's lives. All you can do is fight about like, you know, is when women enter the workplace, is that a thing that is bad or is that a thing that is empowering and makes them better people, right? Like there's no discussion of like, what that actually means. Why is it women have to enter the workplace? Why is it that, that wages are as low as they are? Why is it that we don't have programs that attempt to deal with these things? And uh, until that sort of politics is, is, can exist in people's heads, and I don't know how to change that. Like, I'm not here to propose a way to change that. Until it, in a sense, maybe doesn't matter which level you're operating at. I mean, you're right, and maybe this is what Tim's thinking. At the local level, you can always attempt to make those material changes. And that's true. But there are also poverties of vision there that afflict us in the same way. Like, do you know what the Republicans want to do in my town? Do you know what their big proposal is? This should show you how vast the vision for local politics can be. We share garbage pickup with another town, and they claim that that wastes $49,000 a year, so they want to cut it. So first of all, that's definitely not true. There's no way that we lose more money by partnering with someone else on this. But even if that were somehow true, $49,000 a year is a pittance, even for a town the size of the one that I live in. So like, th that's the, the expansiveness of local vision, right? Like this thing afflicts every level of politics. It's no more true or less true of how your local politicians interact than your national ones. It's, it's a problem of what politics is and what it represents. And that's really the central problem regard, you know, not the approach, at least right now. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. Wait, Amar, do you have can you just like wait? Can you tell your students to wait outside? I, I actually have a late start today, but I do have yes. to get to eight fifteen. So all right, so we've got some twenty coffee. more minutes because uh, you can go, you can show, you... you can show up five minutes late. <laughs> go ahead, like we got, I got no minutes. meeting starts on time. I'll give got you about half an hour. You can make <laughs> coffee while we're on the phone. I love it. All right, so we've got about another hour, listeners, of discussion, and like yeah. So again. At, at the end of the day, we agree on it, every single thing. And there's no disagreement here. We've just sharpened, you know, let me put on my, the gospel coalition blogger hat for a second. Guys, we've just been iron sharpening iron on, on this podcast episode. I mean, just incredible. Cause like, let me bring it back to the invisible structures, right? Like I would say that that, that level is inherently like able to prevent political change by keeping people as isolated from their embodied nature as possible, right? And so something we talk a lot, I know you agree on, Chase, is just the absolute BS of culture war stuff. Yeah, for sure. Like that, we currently have, have no politics in large part because of that, like it is now easier than ever because everyone is hooked in to these 
most disembodied forms of mass media ever in human history. It is more easy than ever for those things to be controlled by the central state apparatus. And they're currently used to get people to fully conceive of themselves as like the, my neighbor right across the street, right? He's a local cop. He's got a Blue Lives Matter flag going right there, right? Sometimes I sit, I, I work on my porch. I work from home. I'm a big sack of shit for all that. I get it. I fully agree. It, you, there was a biker. There is like a total type of dude that I know you just get along with, right? Because of the character he is in my repertoire. This dude, he's on his bike. He's speeding down. He clearly has his grungy knapsack on and he's biking in the city, right? You just, any biker in the city, you know, I'm going to get along with him, right? And he's by himself and he's just going down. I know he doesn't live around here. And he just, he sees that flag and just like, as he's cycling past, I just hear him scream out, fascist! <laughs> At the top of his lungs, right? And oh, like gosh. that only works when the power's on. But as soon as soon as the electricity shuts down, if there's a power outage, whatever, all of a sudden, what is more what is more actually real? Not what's winning, not what is how people currently experience themselves, but what is actually real is that we have more in common by inhabiting the shared space on this block than we do in any other possible permutation of identity. And the big story, like, can you, like, listen, I'm trying to hack the matrix right now. We're hacking the matrix with this podcast, right? But the idea that we can use the central state apparatus to deprogram people from that way of thinking even if your coup was successful like tomorrow, it would still be such an extensive process of deprogramming to get people out of that. And what you'd want to do is to get them to go outside and grow their own food and like care about their place and their own water quality and have sunshine and non-lead filled water and everything. Like that would be the goal, right? And my big point is to go back to what you said earlier, Chase, about the potential for local action to circumvent the massive bureaucratic layers that exist on top of it, right? Like, like I think, I think again, this is, I know this like is going to be such a like triggering signifier for the biases people are bringing into the conversation. So let me tentatively stick my head above the trench for something like growing your own food, right? I'm pausing. I'm pausing just we, to. We grow our some yeah. of our own food, so I'm not, you know. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like, I, growing your own food is is praxis, right? It's building the revolution, right? And to your point about the trash pickup in your own town, right? Like, number one, if all of a sudden there's no toilet paper on the shelves and there's no food in the grocery store or the trash isn't being picked up, people do not give a shit about anything else, right? Because it's the, the fundamental parts on that hierarchy. And no matter what, at the end of the day, whoever picks up your trash, that's gonna be, that's that's still today has relatively local geographic boundaries to it. I am and not do sure you know, about that last part, about do the trash you know, pickup, but. Listen, I, I, depending on where your dump is, yeah, maybe it's going to boats. <laughs> but at the very least, the barges that are gonna take your trash to like, you know, the nuclear the wasteland. Yeah. Or whatever. <laughs> like 
are still docked at a place that's at least within a economically efficient due to the supply chain structure point of entry, right? Because it's more expensive to drive all that trash far away than it is to put the landfill, you know, 20, 10, 20 miles outside of town, right? But my other thing is, do you have any idea how freaking easy it is to get on your town council? Yeah. It is, it I told is you so, I'm supporting the yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. candidate. Yeah. So it, it is so, it's so easy. Like for... Like, do you talk about big brain and being strategic and people not thinking big enough, right? Like, completely agree with your point about the absolutely, I almost said a bad word, stupid limits of the political imagination and the moral imagination of the current walking heart attacks that are most likely your local representatives or mayors, right? But, but that means that the bar for concerted, disciplined, Leninist action at that level is so low, it is so much more achievable to even think about doing stuff there than it is about doing it in DC. I don't, I, I, we don't have a lot of time, so I'm not gonna, I will just say that we've got all the time I, in the world. If I got, well, I mean, I, <laughs> I have, I, much like yesterday when I had to spend all morning preparing my lecture for my 1.30 class. If I don't do my lecture today, I'm going to have the same thing happen tomorrow. It's going to be awful. But Dude, there is this movie you should watch. It's called um, The Dead Poet Society. You ever hear of it? I'm familiar with it. I watch it. No, <laughs> no, no. It's a joke. I know it's a joke, but sure. I watched it one time. My wife and I were literally talking about how much we both saw 10 years ago and didn't like it that much. So I need to, I, I don't know if I'm going to rewatch it, but we'll see. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. My brain is on other track. My brain is on track of if I go in there and run for town council, they're going to ask me why I don't support the blue enough. And like, I'm going to get on town council and I'm going to forget to do God bless America before the town council meeting, or I'm going to like yep. accidentally bend over to pick up a quarter and they're going to accuse me of Colin Kaepernicking the flag. Okay. And I'm going to get like flaming dog poo thrown through my window by someone with the blue lives matter sign or vice versa. You know, if I or not vice versa, but if I go out there and say, we need to put this money towards the Rawway river watershed, which is a thing that one of our current town council candidates is the head of the kind of like conservation group. Yeah. He says that, and someone is going to be like, I don't, why are you not lowering taxes on my barber shop? My shaving cream is too expensive because barbers are always in my experience, mac and cheese people for whatever reason i don't know why it is but they're always friggin just sorry they're always those only kick- only white barbers that's true probably i i can just say that in my town because you know the election's coming up and the signs are out all the you know everybody's yeah. saying let's just say at mama's pizza and at jersey boy barbers they support the candidates who are going to make sure that we save forty nine thousand dollars a year on a uh, trash pickup but anyway i the, the, Jerry. The, Jerry, baby. <laughs> yeah the 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 synthesis here the answer you know here at the end of the thing is is the hegelian one because at the end of the day the problem is that neither of these two things can entirely be prior if you go and involve yourself in your local elections and code a certain way in terms of the national <laughs> in terms of the national power you know cultural framework it's going to impact your ability to work through that local council and may result in you immediately being thrown off, may result in, in, you know, because these perceptions from online penetrate the entire world. Like, you know, a lot of super Trumpy people aren't like hyper online and some kind of like 
Catholic Twitter way, but they're hyper online in the sense that they spend all day like scrolling through meme pages. They're like, look at this cop cry when he, he goes to McDonald's and they forget to tell him how good he is. Like, you know what I mean? Like that, <laughs> that happens, right? That's a thing. Okay. And, and, and vice, and, and on the other hand, you're right. It is good to work at the local level, but understanding that those local changes might be able to help your material community to some degree, but they're not going to be able to solve the problem of climate change. They're not going to be able to solve the problem of, you know, the fact that we all now think each other are whatever cultural signifier you want to place into that particular slot. I, I know you're probably like hesitating there, Tim, because you do want localism to solve climate change, but that is where we will have to uh, part ways on that question. Well, no, we're not parting ways, but okay. we're going to let Amar talk. Sorry. And then you know that Chase, we've got at least 10 more minutes after Amar leaves. I know. I just have to pee so bad. Make fun of him. And <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. We Amar would, would beat us would beat us up so bad. There's also <laughs> like nothing to make fun of. Beat both of us at the same time. I have no no question. Yeah. Uh, All right. So my, Mr. Patel, my, it's over to you. And then just well, please, you don't have to stay on the podcast, but don't go to that meeting. I, I actually just have to go to the bathroom and then get more <laughs> so coffee. We're in a That's like primary here. needs. If we're gonna speak of primary yeah. needs, that definitely uh, localism strikes again. I am I am uh you know to speak to beating people up. You guys are coming into your full man strength time, and I'm leaving mine so i'm pretty sure i would give you the the uh, tip the scales in your favor yeah i mean I, again my final thought on this is still is that agreement and i you know i, I i'm going to go back to that the idea of the church right is that is that you know you you there's reasons we have like the second vatican vatican council and you have like these large meetings because some decisions have to be made at a, at a top level but in the end they have to be implemented somewhere right and so I think one of the kind of one of the biggest things in recent times, when they changed the prayers, you know, at mass, I mean, that stuff went on for years at the, at the top level and the different uh, translations. And I mean, we didn't even know there's people I still talk to that, you know, maybe go back to church finally for a funeral or, or for Christmas or something like that. What just happened? What, what's going on? And they know I, they know I uh, always go to mass. And I know I'm in the know. And, and I said, well, I mean, that's something. That, and they go, well, how did that change? I go, well, how did you not go to mass for 15 years and you just didn't notice that this had happened? But still, it's, it's like the implementation finally does come to the local level. And there was a reason for it. And sometimes, though, like in that situation, there's so many people that still don't know the reason why they made those translation changes, right? And so, like, there's a situation where I think that's kind of an example of how at the federal level, I mean, there's reasons that should be helping people, but then there's communication breakdowns. And then just like people are so unplugged, I think that's a constant issue. So it, to me, that wraps into people need to be awoken from the, the doldrums. But I think that can only happen in, in community and that community can be online or it can be in person, but the quality of the community, I think, People won't, you know, people are reticent to question that that whole thing of like, well, don't judge my community. I go, well, we should all be judging all the things that we do, you know, and be kind of critical for ourselves. I, I don't know if that's really part of this conversation, but in, in an overall sense, I feel like that's something that my my children and my students 
that's something they've been programmed to, which I think is a very damaging thing. Could be a whole nother podcast, right? Is that you can't judge anybody else for anything. I go, well, but then that's the only way things get better, especially if you judge yourself against, if, if there's standards of any, like having your own standards, whether they're externally imposed on you or not, but having standards, like that's what judging comes from. It's like you're judging yourself to some kind of standard. If you're not there, do you move towards it? Do you challenge others to move towards some other standards? We've kind of given up on that, right? And I think so then it's difficult then to have this kind of centralism versus localism discussion when we can't even have a standards discussion because there's a worldwide you know, movement towards that's just bad, right? Standards are bad. And I guess it goes back to Tim's point on liberalism, right? It's like standards kind of have an external, you know, component of, of control. It's, like ex, it's an external locus of control when there's a standard placed on you. And I think that's something that, you know, that we could spend a lot of time talking about, you know, the, you know, if there's a, how can there be a common good if, if there's no standards allowed, right? What is a common good? So anyway, I got to tap out. I didn't think I just dumped a whole load on you and then. <laughs> oh, that, that was awesome, man. Uh, Amar, thanks as always. Godspeed right. with the urinal, the coffee pot, and the uh, lame meeting. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Later. Bye, soon. Bye. Gosh, that meeting was probably like something for like a mars big project and he's actually he's like called it or something just like was too nice to set me straight yeah he's like actually it's a meeting for whether or not the local school whether or not i should run for town council and yeah. the auspices of the the teachers union will support me in that decision you know that. i know but he's been so numbed by just like the warm embrace of podcasting and he's like eh, whatever oh dude yeah so but like the i know you want to put a button in it soon and i i will not be over like i'm not gonna be that guy it's like no dude you just can't leave yet and then <laughs> I, I do need to pee and do work but yes we can certainly carry up well do you want to pee now and then talk and then do work would that help uh, yeah sure i mean let me pee first i still like i i i know my, my I know. problem i'm sorry no no it's, sorry. It's, it's just my problem is that i don't the way that my day goes every day I'll explain this to you now, is that the earlier in the day it is, the more I give, like the, the more lenient I am with myself. And then it's 4 p.m. and I'm like, oh no, Gabby gets home in an hour. I've accomplished two of the 15 things I claimed I was going to accomplish while she's at work. And then it's a mad scramble to like make dinner while also like mowing the lawn with the other hand. And, you know, I don't know, reading the Bible, with, it's like taped to my forehead. But yes, dude, I'm just going to pee real quick and I'll, I'll be right back. Awesome. Awesome. I am not going to, I am not going to edit this podcast because I want to throw up the audio and just get people talking. I feel like we've all been pretty on point and there's nothing like cancelable that I need to delete out, but I will save you guys like the, I mean, who knows how long of a bathroom trip this is going to be, right? So I will try to what can I say during this interval? I'm trying not to do commercials on the podcast. Oh yeah, guys, please. This will be the only time. This is the only time, first time that I have talked on a podcast about money and Patreon and that whole thing, right? So this does not exist and does not make any of us money. And that's not the goal. And it like never will, God willing. But we do, we do have a Patreon and there are currently 
zero benefits <laughs> to becoming a Patreon member. I do not make any exclusive posts. There are no hidden episodes. I have no merch for you. None of that stuff. This is because I don't, the last thing I want is for this to be like a, a grift of any kind. But what would be helpful is that I currently run the pod at a net loss every month for things like the hosting and the editing tool that we subscribe to and the Zoom subscription that will let me record and like some of that sort of stuff, the email domain, blah, blah, blah. And so if we can get to a backer level of like even like a like a hundred bucks a month easily would let this just be like completely self-sustaining in a way that would make sure that this can continue to happen for a very long time or that if you know that the episodes at the very least if this whole thing falls apart or i get hit by a truck or something will stay on the internet in perpetuity so if you are willing and in a position where you do this sort of thing blah 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 times are tough i don't want anyone to spend money on this listen people need to be frugal you probably shouldn't be spending your money supporting any podcasts but if you are a professional listener and you've got disposable income that you're currently spending on like you know avocado toast or whatever it is then my ask is that you would consider going to the patreon and throwing us a couple of bucks a month i literally have the lowest possible subscription or like tier at like a dollar a month which with like the patreon fees ends up being like 50 cents a month or something so if I were doing anything with business sense, I would change that. But anyway, I'm, I'm rambling here. I'm trying, I'm going to, I'm going to the page. We go to the page here and see what it's at. We've got the Twitter page for the podcast or the Institute. Uh, oh, Hey, you're back. I oh. decided to, cause I'm not going to edit this at all. I'm just going to throw the audio up because ah. I feel like it's been pretty good and we don't need to be canceled for any of the stuff we said. And even the, when I made a swears, it was pretty low. But we currently have, so I'm doing the only ever, the first ever Patreon, like BS plug, talk to our listeners. That's what uh, I was doing while you were gone. And I'm simply, I said, I, I, none of us make any money from this we never will we don't want to although actually chase needs a job pretty soon he's going to be a p he's going to have a phd and you know actually for chase i would do this for chase is to start hustling that patreon game just a patreon that, would, that goes directly to my bank account That's yeah because this that would be awesome because then we could enable him to like i fully believe in that but that'll be a conversation for another day yeah all I was telling the, the good folks here and like we do we do get a core of like every episode I've seen of like 100 150 listeners who make it through the whole thing which is just unbelievable to me like in a cool way I'm surprised that any single person listens to at least anything I have to say obviously Chase and Amar 
I think those listeners are all coming from from you guys. But we currently, <laughs> I just looked it up. Owners. Yeah, we we get we have three patrons. I'm gonna find out who you are. Oh shoot, I'm logged in with the wrong account. No, I'm gonna we're gonna. Well, Chase has to go. Shoot, once Chase goes, I will officially share anyone who's a public patron and clap for them. But we're at eleven dollars a month right now, and if we can get up to a hundred, the current stuff I pay for to be able to do this, like the domain, the Zoom subscription, and like the editing software, this will be self-sustaining for forever instead of me needing to like pay or lose like 90 bucks a month to keep this going, which I will do in perpetuity because I can and I love it, but Mm -hmm. it would just be a super, super boost if anyone was interested to help out on that front. So anyway, done with that plug. I'm very sorry for how cringe it must be to talk about filthy, filthy lucre, but we're closing out on the big, the, the, the huge Tim Chase recording beef freestyles back and forth on this topic. And I want to go back to like, I felt we were getting sort of interesting to like going back to that synthesis of political change and what you can do sort of thing and whether working with people on your block to get to pull them out of the matrix and do stuff especially at that like fundamental sort of water garbage pickup like basic basic needs level will be more effective to do it that way as a way to broaden people's consciousnesses or whatever or whether you'd you need to change things in a central way before you could ever do that I think we should historicize it. I mean, obviously, Ooh, I think. That, do a heck in historicism. Well, no, but here's what I mean by that, right? I think it is indisputable. Maybe this is where localism disagrees with me. That, like, it would be best to be able to do that change at the state level. In other words, like, you will never be able to pull more people out of poverty from your street. You will, Yeah, that you will never pull more people out that way than you could if you were lbj doing the war on poverty or if you were fdr doing the new deal and in other words numerically speaking in terms of the number of people benefited materially that's that's the ideal that's where you're going to be able to do the best it's why capitalism is so effective and efficient right because it's global the bigger it gets the more efficient it gets that's just that's how it works but we have no political imagination We're totally colonized in our brains. That's all true for the reasons that have already been stated. In that sense, I do genuinely think that you as an individual can do a lot of good trying to be reasonably nice to other people. I think that's true. I think that when my wife deals with the people who she works with and they are anti-vax or whatever, she does more by being nice to them than she would by being mean to them. And maybe in some imagined future, that will mean some kind of political change. I don't know, but you have to pretend that at least. But I think that, so by historicism, I mean, is right now, it might genuinely be true that that's all you can do. Like, I, I, I don't mean to sound like a Roger Benedict option guy, but it is, the options do seem pretty limited mm-hmm. uh, right now. That said, I don't think that that should ever be that should really be the goal. And I don't think that that will necessarily be the case in a couple of decades as things get worse, but we will see. Because again, think about 60s to 80s, 60s, mass movement seemed possible, change seems possible. 
fighting poverty seems possible. 80s, none of that seems possible. We've begun to descend into this moment where there is no politics anymore. It's just like doing the culture war. So things change fast. Yeah. Yeah. And I had have, I have this conversation with Brev, though, right? Is that like, I think that the, like the only politics we have left, and this is, I, this I think will be more accentuated as, as the years go on and climate change gets worse, will be about like the basic level of what goods and services and, and fundamental things we can eke out of wherever we happen to be. Oh gosh, don't say that, Tim, because here's why. Because the democratic <laughs> approach in politics in the United States has really been like tighten the belt and like, you know, I mean, Jimmy Carter in the 70s, right? His whole thing was sort of like capitalism did a heck in overproduction. So you need to do a heck in uh, underconsumption, you know, like, and nobody liked that. Who won? Reagan came in and was like, money go burr, you know, defense mm-hmm. establishment go burr. So if that's what it comes down to, then things are only going to get worse for anything like a left politics, <laughs> at least if it's embodied in the shell that it has now. My well, word. yeah, that's why I'm a doomer. Yeah. I don't think, I think the only, if you care about material benefits and you care about a sort of populist left politics, right, for you know, obviously those words are going to trigger some people and all do caveats just pretend i made them so that you are no longer triggered and agree with me the (laughs) like the only it's first of all it's hopeless no matter what it's not going to happen and we're we're effed completely the oh yeah this quote i wanted to share earlier i need to send this to amar afterwards but roy scranton who's this novelist author essayist former iraq war oh vet, dude he was the most doomer the most doomer guy you know Roy granton he was in my phd program he was an english phd at princeton what? i think i might be wrong about that but there's a guy who was an iraq war veteran went to princeton got a phd became like a writer he writes and on the environment now, I think now it's at notre dame he might be i he i'm just i'm 95 oh sure my gosh Oh my gosh. Yes. He was at Princeton university in 2015, yeah. close to finishing his PhD. So in he's right. Yeah. He's the voice grant for my program. Yeah. I know who he is. Dude. Amazing. Well, I'm a big fan and he is the most, he is objectively the most doomer guy on the face of the planet today. And the quote though, that I love, and I think this is right on the money is that the biggest problem we face is a philosophical one, understanding that this civilization is already dead. The sooner we confront this problem, the sooner we realize there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, the sooner we can get down to the hard work of adapting with mortal humility to our new reality. And I think that's, that's just the truth. I, I do. And it sucks. And I don't like it. I don't like it at all. It sucks. But I think that most people sort of, I think that just rings true to most people. Like I've had more and more conversations or just heard people saying that like, well, what are you like de facto then? And are people like, well, I guess I'm like a closet sort of survivalist just because I don't think anything's going to get better. But like, I'm just a closet armchair. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a prepper or anything like crossing that river. Right. But most people, at least in, in theory are like, yeah, I guess that's like one of the only things that makes sense. And like the, like to be clear, right? If 
but what I think, Chase, where you're coming down is like, or where I see it, right? Like going back to LBJ is that like, we are waiting for the great man or woman, of course, to save us, right? To be able to, who can, the charismatic figure who can lead the revolution and cut through the current system Most in order are, to, yeah. to save us, right? And like, absolutely, right? If, if such a, a world historical figure were to arise and just redistribute massive amounts of material wealth to us, like, I'm all in favor. And what in my own tiny way, like with the SPC and a few of these other projects is to do my tiny little bit in terms of the mass, mass media, mass political discourse and apparatus, right? But I think the most important thing that I spend my time doing on any given day is being a prepper. And I know I'm like, I'm being a little hyperbolic, but like, if you guys don't have like a few gallons of water stored in your, of potable drinking water stored in your basement right now, or like a flashlight with batteries and some of that stuff, like that's the most important thing you can do today. Like I'll, I'll show you my hand as an unhinged doomer lunatic, right? The like, but when you going back to your cancer, like it's, it's harder to cancel and to hate someone who you know in person. It is harder to scream at someone face to face if you're having a beer on the porch than it is over the internet. It just is. And there's there's no hope. If you run for town council, you are 100% going to be tarred and feathered and canceled. But like Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope, right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not saying to not run for town. Again, I think this is the operative and important distinction. It's not that you shouldn't run for town council. It's that those social factors that exist through the internet are going to affect what that running like town council looks like. In other words, like the national is there at the local. Now it might be right. You might be totally right agree. Totally agree. There's still going to be the person who yells fascist when they see the blue lives matter flag. If I did that every time I saw the blue lives matter flag, I would have been killed by this point, just to be clear. Like, <laughs> This is a, I I really think I live like, I'm not, I think I live in a, this is a bit off topic. Well, first of all, I'll say my father-in-law is a prep, is like, he's not quite a prepper, but he's like a semi-prepper gun nut. So like, I am like, this is a man who's been his entire life working with children with autism. And at some point just decided he was going to move to the middle of the country, purchase a small parcel of land and buy a bunch of guns. So make, make of that what you will in terms of that move from like, stereotypical kind of like center left social worker not in the mm -hmm. technical sense but someone who works in that kind of economy more and more people are saying yeah but crap i lost my my, my train of thought was not going to be about him it was going to be about the fascist blue lives matter oh. your town <laughs> oh right i feel blessed because i think i live in a specifically most people live in a place where i don't think there's a whole lot of local competition really like if my it, it 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 you know if you live in New York City, there's a nine out of ten chance you're going to end up, and probably more than that, probably nine point seven out of ten chance that you're going to end up with a, a Democrat. Or if you live in small town Ohio at this stage, I'm guessing there's like a nine out of ten chance you're going to end up with a kind of Trump Republican in in charge, right? I happen to live in a place 
where the McDonald's franchise owners and the like elementary school music teachers seem to be at like the same numbers. And there's a legitimate competition for which side is going to dominate this set of small towns that exist in the periphery of New York City. Because we have nearby ultra rich people who tend to be like kind of Democrats, right? I'm talking like global globalists, you know, people who, the, the people that yeah, like- metrosexuals. Talk, yeah, like actual, <clears throat> you know, but who live in the suburbs of New Jersey. Yeah. And we have our national bourgeois, right? Our McDonald's franchise owners, our used car salesmen, the people who go to, who live in Harrisburg or, who, you know, populate Harrisburg. Instead of Namby Pambies, maybe I'll call them Nimby Pimbies. Oh, yeah. Nimby I'm sorry. I'll stop, please. No, I don't dislike Nimby Pimby. I mean, you're probably not supposed to say Namby Pamby, but maybe that's the reason to say Nimby Pimby is because it's not Nimby Pimby. But, you know, we also have our, like, my neighbor who does some sort of nondescript job in an office, but who also has the name of every single piece of flora, its Latin name memorized and can just sort of say it, even though he's just like a 65-year-old man who lives Love that person. There's, there's a lot of those people out there. You got to find I, them. We need more of them. Listeners because, I mean, need to find them. Because he lives across the street from a guy who flew the American flag upside down after Biden won for months. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Like, so you're right about, okay, yes, we live on the same street. Yes, we can talk to each other. And it's true. Like, we don't hate each other with the pure hatred that is felt online. Right? That's true. But... um. That doesn't mean that those symbols that I hate this term, but that symbology mm-hmm. doesn't That's play legit. into. I mean, those, the, those I got semiotic those signs. Yeah, exactly. I put out a Green Party sign for the 2020 election with a papal flag. OK, I just love it. Love I got that. asked by my neighbor if that was a communist flag because of the Green Party sign. OK. Yeah. And, you know, I like my neighbor. We get along. It's fine. Like, you know, it, it, it's fine. We're neighbors. We have to. But, well, I don't know that we have to, but we do. But that doesn't mean that he didn't, ass- he didn't assume that because I had a Green Party side that I was like, actually, like, I don't know, a Muslim communist or something, because that is what he assumes. That is his symbolic universe. And I think that as long as this generation still exists, it's not going to matter whether you're acting locally or, or, or nationally in terms of changing the consciousness of those with power, which is say the boomers. And there's a lot wrong with Gen X and millennials. If I see one more brew pub spring up somewhere, I'm going to personally blow it up. Uh, <laughs> okay, I, I have my problems with that generation too, and they have their own ways of framing. How to, but, how to blow up a, a brew pub coming to you soon from what's the Jacobin publisher books oh, there's there's, Verso, there's zero yeah verso books i went to you soon from verso books sorry uh, <sighs> although zero i think is kind of zero is like the marxist leninist verse it's like verso and verso were like run by like guys who wore those hats you know what i mean there's Love like the little hats. those little like green hats they're kind of they like kind of look like they're trying to be fidel castro hats but i don't think they really are you know what i'm talking about yeah they're trying to do it there's some trying to say the quiet part out loud via hat. Yeah, yeah they're, I, I they're totally. The, they're the Rage Against the Machine guys, the guys who in like the late nine, in like the mid '90s were like, you know, both in the Fed and globalization is bad, and just like just smoke like more weed in one day than the average suburban teenager can smoke over four years of high school. I know exactly what I'm doing for the outro music. The yeah, dude, yeah, like 
but again, like, all right, so let me come back though and say like, you're, but again, like to embrace the cringe, right? I do think that inviting your neighbors over for a potluck, sharing the fruits of your harvest, figuring out how much just like you can interact with them socially as much as possible, doing the block party, getting together face to face and talking about anything that is not quote, quote unquote politics is the answer there. And I know that is so crunchy and so lame and stupid. I totally, I totally feel that it is impossible, even for me, even wearing this hemp sweater that I'm wearing <laughs> as we have this conversation, it's impossible for me to not be sort of like nervously self-conscious in trying to intentionally do that sort of thing. But if human beings are as malleable as you say they are, and if, and if that embodied interaction is as potent a thing as it is, then that's still a way to circumvent. Listen, again, I am all for, if you're the great man in the wings waiting for this to happen, tell me when to show up for our own version of January 6th. I, I'm, I love it. I'm all, I'm all for it, seriously. But until that happens, right? I don't think I'm that guy. I don't have, you know, a militia that I can call on to roll there with me, but working to build a militia in your own place, I'm talking legally, nonviolent, alleged, alleged. I think that's a fantastic activity to do because you know, who's already doing it. Bad guys, Yeah, bad guys. And you know, all it takes for, uh, all it takes for distributism to die is for good men to do nothing. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was something I was going to say earlier that I've now forgotten. It was when you were said, whatever your like super Chesterton line was about, I can't remember what it was. Oh yeah. But a, a coup is just localism. in DC. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say that. Yeah. Well, the, the UN is just localism in New York. You know, the, the, the EU is just localism in Brussels. You know, that's my like globalist version of the same thing. I, I will say, this is my, my, my final note. I think I, everything you're talking about is a good thing to do. Invite your neighbors over, share with them the fruits of your labor. I am fine with it. I have no ideological opposition to any of that. In fact, I think it is something that would be good for more people to get in the business of doing. I think that you should, yeah, allegedly join a local organization that may or may not go to the range sometimes ensure that you know whatever whatever that the implication of that is because i have seen the like vice videos about the like one percenters in alabama or whatever who just like it's it's really it's like guys who watch zero dark 30 one too many times and just are like oh i could do that oh man oof i feel I feel I feel seen right now in a dangerous <laughs> way. I love that movie. I I can't speak. So I I'm just speaking to the uh, let's say the non-distributist version of that of that. Person. I'm not a distributist, by the way. I'm sorry because that's... I'm 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 the I'm a radical no labels guy. I'm a rabble, radical centrist. <laughs> but true radical centrism has never been tried. Yeah, the third third ways. Okay, Bill Clinton over here forming his Clintonite militia in Arkansas. No, but I mean all of those things are good things to do. But I do think there's something we can do aside from wait on the great man, because that's never really particularly valuable, though at some level it is what we're all stuck doing, right? The owl of Minerva takes flight at, takes, takes flight at twilight, okay? You can't know the owl's taken off until the owl takes off. 
God, uh, I love it when you talk like that. That's uh, well, you know, you got two Hegel references into one episode, just so you know. Gosh, I'm uh, flushed over here. But the the point is, you can do more than wait though. That isn't just doing local interaction in the way that you're describing. And I think that is doing things like up this podcast, yes, but doing things like starting um, a journal or a publishing company, trying to reach people through your social media, right? Which is a kind of, because you can do a lot of, like every person who I know who is online has reached their politics or their way of viewing the world through this kind of like friction of interaction with other sorts of people who are choosing to put their subjectivity out there in this particular way. And that comes to politics and, and in aesthetics and all these things. And, and in a more material sense, I mean, you can like, actively go do things for the least of these. I mean, you know, there are needle exchanges in your community, almost certainly. I mean, the, pen, the heroin, fentanyl, uh, car fentanyl epidemic is everywhere. So I'm sure that there is something like that in your community, wherever you are listening to this. You can go to the food pantry, food kitchen. You can donate food. You can, yeah, grow food. You can do all of those. Like, I think that there are more ways to make a larger scale effect then people realize, and those things are cringe and boring in the way that you're describing. Some of them, some of them aren't because posting is not necessarily that. But It's I not cringe? Think, well, it depends on the kind of posting, I suppose. Sometimes, If you're uh, great at posting, keep it up. And listen, yeah. yeah I don't think. If you want to be a revolutionary, follow us on Twitter and smash that retweet button every time you see us come through. Or... This is just sounds so like this. This is really this would be my final extension to prove what I mean because most of the things I just said are really small. You take a couple of shows like Chapo Trap House, True Anon, kind of dirtbag left style podcasts and shows. On the one end, the number of people that they reach is not that high, right? Like in terms of the global population, it's nothing. It's a pittance. It's enough to make those people a living, and that's about it. But the downstream effects of the sort of politics that crystallized around those sorts of programs are actually quite large within a certain generation. And I think that that is something. It doesn't give you a means of knowing how to change the world, right? It doesn't stop Kamala Harris from being vice president. Like it doesn't, it doesn't make things good, but it does create new subjects whose politics are different, who see the world differently and who therefore think about new ways. And maybe one of them becomes the great, the great man because of the, that new mode of thinking or because they see things differently. Maybe they join an organization they wouldn't have joined otherwise. And it's gotta be worth something. I mean, obviously we can't all just be media personalities and posters. That's what everyone wants to be, but not, not everyone gets to do it. But you do have to shout in the void and do those sorts of things. Because if it does crystallize into something larger that has that kind of propaganda force, that matters. That propaganda does end up mattering in some way or another. I wouldn't be who I am without a weird mixture of like Catholic intellectuals, online left people, books I've read, like, all, you know, and so, you know, you have to hope, you have to do what you can. And I think that those big scale things do matter because you can end up reaching more people than you realize and change more minds and, and hearts than you realize. So. I, I complete. I completely, completely agree. And like, by the way, if you guys know anything about propaganda, get in touch, right? Like, I've got an ongoing, dude, I have, like, have been trying to learn for the past year how to use AI and GPT-3 to create thousands of Twitter bots to, <laughs> well, CIA's doing to support, it, you should do it, you know? I, I completely agree with that. I completely agree. And maybe that's me trying to play great man politics or whatever. But like, listen, 
like fully completely agree and same here right but although a little appeal to authority episode number one matt chrisman he's 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 a localist now bt dubs matt chrisman matt chrisman the new distributism uh, the the distributist of the twenty the twenty twenties the the chapo to distributist pipeline is real. I I do have to say something briefly about so I am in a weird position because I am someone who has listened to a lot of chapo and I do like Matt Christman. I think he's probably the most like interesting of the figures that exist in that universe. But I don't like listen to his vlogs or like follow him with any particular you know whatever acuity devotion yeah yeah like i i mean he's fine but it's interesting because i i would love to know what that like means i mean i haven't i i remember when he was on and i got very excited about it but i i i you know frankly i should probably listen to it because i don't really have anything better to listen to when i'm going on my dog walks or you know the things i have to fill with music or podcasts or these sorts of you know media but if he's become some kind of like localist that's i mean but his thing is a grill pill avatar isn't it on twitter dude you, you might yeah like the you might really enjoy you should listen to it and, oh, will, and tell yeah, me what you absolutely. think i'd like your feedback but i think there that it, it's a real development in his thinking for sure not i'm obviously joking when i say he's a distributist which yeah, you should not be because he no would labels. get mad about that like definitely yeah, yeah. he would associate that with like chat if he even knows what that means i have no idea yeah. he does but. yeah yeah don't call yourself anything it's safer that way except a christian it, to it's, some degree legitimately true it's totally it's totally true if anyone face to face asks you what your politics are just say oh i'm not political what do you think about our water quality though and <laughs> like the it, it just talk about how much the politicians suck right because it's true yeah, the it's true. that that is a but that tip for you guys that is that's a psyop that's psychological warfare <laughs> i'm recommending recommending that to you <laughs> as a tactical as a tactical decision but the other the other component is his he's on a spiritual journey right now he's on a journey of faith see i, you can, I have you to just say, listen to it yeah i, I will know that's interesting because here's the thing about and then i i really oh gosh almost 10 o'clock okay i i i, I am All really, right, we will you know, be done by 10 i promise you, you know i enjoy doing this but i also like you know i have my yeah, of course responsibilities but course. Um, very responsible well, no, that's the whole problem. <laughs> I'm supposed to be responsible and I constantly fail to be so. But that would be interesting because I did listen to his Mormonism. He did like a one-parter through the Chapo feed, I think. Maybe it was, I don't know if it was there. Oh yeah, I didn't listen to that. I saw it come through. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was inter- like what I liked about it, okay, was that he was, so like Mormons are low-hanging fruit. I love to pick on Mormons. I mean, who doesn't, right? Like I'm not, I'm not even saying that to be mean. It's just like, man sees special characters through special hat in burnt over district upstate new york fails to do does it once and they lose it and does it again it's different he's like no but it's different because the vision was like i mean you know and then does plural marriage and goes across the you know the whole the whole shtick right very easy to make fun of very easy to make fun of but he does it he talks about it in such a way that is very materialistic like in no way does he ever for a second think that joseph smith knew what he was talking about but he's very respectful of those who would say that right he's not mean to them he's very yeah reasonable i guess i don't know ecumenical in a certain way like he doesn't yeah so that had me thinking it sort of had me thinking like is he because i've heard him talk crap about trad catholics before certainly 
you know, is he just such a materialist that he's nice about religion? You know, like what is, where, where is his space in all of this? Because if he were some kind of like new atheist or even just standard internet left atheist, he would never be that nice to like Mormonism in general. That, that's just not a thing you would do. It's too low hanging fruit. It's too easy to beat up. So why be that nice? And I don't, yeah, I guess maybe that's a related question of what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, that, that'll be, I'd love to get him back on. I tried hard to get him uh, and Liz Brunig to start like their own deal, but they're, you know, it's these writer types. They're so flighty. I should chase them though. Cause it's been a few months since I followed up and the people would eat it up about religion specifically. You're right about numbers. Although I do think that the kinds of, thinker they are very very different and i wonder what that would look like well yeah that's why it's interesting right it's um, like yeah. super materialist man who's committed to those principles and i guess this is probably some kind of idealist i mean not in like a hegelian way just in a, like she mostly seems interested in like ide- ideas you know in a almost like a conser- old you know conservative in the sense that someone who's in an isi program would use that word well that's so. what's interesting right is that matt is no longer a pure materialist and the topic that he suggested that he thought it would be interesting would be whether you can authentically today commit to a particular religious creed as opposed to just being broadly spiritual being broadly spiritual yeah i think super interesting yeah localism but what's in my head bullet points chase needs to go localism chase needs to go yeah, that would be nice. It's Chesterton's. It's Chesterton's all the way down. Oh, that's the big thing you got to remember to do. It's Chesterton's. Yeah. Moment. You know, I this is a good story for me to lead out on because it relates to that idiom. I used to teach in prison, volunteer, and the one of the women that I taught with was Dutch, like from the Netherlands. And one day, in class, I said, "It's interpretation all the way down. It's turtles all the way down." And in the like cab ride to the train together back, because you have to take a cab to the prison, because of course they put them in places that are not accessible from public train. It's like next to the airport. And she was cracking up and she was like, I'm not going to do the like bad Dutch accent that I was going to do. But she was just like, that is the funniest thing I've ever heard Americans say this turtles all the way down. (laughs) It was like the happiest I've ever seen. And like, she wasn't like, a person who laughed at a lot of things I said, I would make jokes. They would tall, fall totally flat with her. Like, but that one thing, she just heard that and thought it was the funniest thing on earth. So it's if that great, is the funniest it's... thing on earth, Chesterton's all the way down to the next stage in the evolution. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think we've, I think we've come to the point where we agree. The most important thing you can do is to get involved with your local community. <laughs> and the second most important thing you can do is to, fight the propaganda wars and work to build that that consciousness as much as possible so i mean you'd agree with that tied for number one say, <laughs> there you go you know, you yeah, there you go they're, they're tied for number one and the reaction i'm pushing against is people saying ah well don't talk about what you can do it's so stupid it won't change anything like that I understand the impetus. I'm not saying that's you. It's not. But I'm talking now to the generic people on the internet who I think say this, who may or may not exist. The that's not true. Don't listen. I understand. I understand why you feel that way. 
should feel that way if you're paying attention. But, you know, step outside, feel the air and the sunshine on your face and realize the, the boundless possibilities that come collapse now, beat the rush. That's what I say. Yeah. No, that's, I have to say, I want to say, but that was such a beautiful. Say ending. it. Like, no, say it. You get I the was, button. I was just going to say that this goes back to the kind of Christmas thing. I think about the left, the online left figures that I admire the most. And now this is a chicken or egg situation. It could be that I admire them because they're not mean about religion, or it could be that they happen to be the sort of people who, you know, aren't mean about religion because they've grown on spirituality or something like that. But yeah, I mean, I think about these people, Matt Christmas would probably, probably be one of those people that I admire, but it's also like uh, Liz Franzak for some reason follows me on Twitter. She's great. I what? Think she's super smart. Oh, I'm so jealous. I, the thing is, I've Big never actually like, spoken with her. I have no idea why she follows me, but it, it's not important. Right? But like, She's not really likes to laugh about you getting catfished. She probably does. Honestly, she probably just like she probably my guess, honestly, is that she so Liz is basically like a gossip columnist. Like, I'm sorry, but the Liz of my heart is Franzak, not Brunig. Nothing against Liz Brunig, but the 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 internet figure on the left named Liz that I'm like truly fascinated by is is that one. And she is she is basically like an 80s gossip columnist, I think. And so as a result, she keeps her tendrils on everything. And my guess is that she follows me to keep a beat on the left Catholic community in some broad sense. But regardless, my point is she's never said anything negative about religion that I've ever seen. And it's not that she, I don't think she's religious or has any particular like affiliation to a particular, you know. She's a lapsed Catholic. Well, I mean, I, I obviously her background, she got that Polish last name, but I don't know anything yeah. about like her actual engagement with i just i think that's that's a on the record oh interesting yeah, yeah. like maybe someone who you know i had 12 years of catholic education that classic person no uh, she's not okay. like that but i just think something in that no that you know, would maybe that would raised make, raised that way that would make total deal. total sense i mean and actually i will say she's sort of you and her could be considered gurus to me in similar ways but about two different things wow flattered wait about what well, because in your case, I, I think that I, I do respect your interest in being willing to be propagandistic about, or let's just say tactical about these local problems, right? Like, I think people forget that you have to be thoughtful about how you interact with other people, right? And that's something that you're, you're pushing very strongly is that you need to do these things as operatives. I mean, in a certain sense, right? Like you, you need to think about how it is you're going to deal with people. How, like you don't have to run a script, right? That's never going to work. And I think that's the problem. People often take the idea of uh, tactics or treating people a certain way and just run a script. But it's always so obvious when someone's just running a script and they're not just trying to actually deal with someone. And I think you've been very good on, on emphasizing that and, and saying, Yes, that's something you should care about. You should be thinking about how you can interact with, with people in that way. Because I think like the Wendell Berry Walker Percy world, like they would say you should interact with your neighbors, but they would never put it in tactical terms. Like they would never think of that as a question of a broader struggle, right? It would just be like a kind of quietistic retreat. And in the Franzak case, I mean, I, she's made me interested in, in, in stonks. I mean, I, I feel like I now understand the way that like the global capitalists play um, 
Parcheesi, like way better than I ever could have if I had never been introduced to her. Not introduced to her, obviously, literally, but I mean, been introduced to her um, thinking about things. And so I guess I got kind of, I, point is a lot of these figures uh, are people who have never been unkind to religion and seem to almost recognize that fighting about it is a waste of time. And there's like, or, or that like, if you're going to build a broad left coalition, you're not going to do it by insulting religious people. And that's such a rare kind of person that that person just immediately gets my respect. And I know that there are some people on Catholic Twitter who dislike Crispin Chapo for like making fun of Matt Walther like five years ago or whatever. And I, I, I listened to that once upon a time. I don't really remember. I don't remember what the whole hullabaloo is about. I'm sure they were mean. Their whole thing is being mean. But you know what? Half of Catholic Twitter has been really mean to me too. And, you know, I try not to hold it against them. So <laughs> that's it. Yeah, what guys, I like, what stop, I, being, stop being mean, seriously. You can have, you can have all sorts of vigor and, and jouissance without being so mean. Well, I, it's funny. This is a side. And then really, I, like, I, the problem isn't just being mean. I think the problem is that, like, not only does social media incentivize meanness, right? It also incentivizes doing all sorts of other small things that piss people off without you're even realizing you're pissing them off while you're doing it. It's like really small examples would be like giving your opinion when no one asked for it, right? Just like showing up to someone's post and just like saying how you feel about something, even if it has nothing to do with what their post is. This is something I'm guilty of like a thousand times over in my, you know, many years on Twitter. It's like going deep into a thread and liking only one person's comments that one person feels really alone and isolated. Like all these like dumb, stupid little things contribute to forming us into these like angry, resentful subjects. And, you know, I'm not saying there's anything you can do about that. Even if you stop doing it, other people are still going to do it. But I do think it's important to be conscious of the ways in which like those little interactions can mean a lot for how we convert people. Being tactical, as you put it a minute ago. Yeah.